0: Draco Malfoy and the Mortifying Ordeal of Being in Love, by Is This Self-Care? Narrated by S.E.P. Chapter 31. The Janice Thickey Ward. Dawn rose gray the next morning. Rain pitter-pattered against the window. In that damp silence, Draco the quash Malfoy and Hermione, no capacity for complications, Granger stared at the ceiling and reflected upon what they had done. It was difficult to deny what had happened, given that each had the other's bodily fluids in various stages of evaporation upon their person. The pillow talk was brief and to the point. What happened in Spain would stay in Spain. They were professionals. They were professionals who respected each other's professionalism and would never act in any way other than professionally with their assigned professional. They repeated the word to the point of semantic satiation, grew confused, and left for home. Draco's wank bank benefited from some new additions, so not all was lost. If Granger hadn't a single brain cell to spare before, now, with the acquisition of the hope from Pandora's box, the entirety of her being was consumed by her project. In the days that followed, she reached the final brewing stage for the proto-sanitatum that spent every waking hour at the laboratory, preparing to synthesize her miracle and launch clinical trials. November's full moon crept towards them. Greyback and Granger were in the fraught arms race. Now, infection versus the cure. Watching Granger's feverish work at the lab, Draco knew that illicit activities with her aura, including a night in Spain that hadn't happened, were the last thing on her mind. As the full moon approached, her drive to complete the treatment bordered on the manic. Her pace was frenetic. She ate only when reminded to, and often had to be bullied into going home to bed. There was a blankness in her eyes when she looked at Draco, sometimes, but it wasn't occlusion. Her mind was obsessively, fervidly elsewhere the fire in her was a dangerous thing it made her so bright but it also threatened to consume her he missed her so very much when he wasn't with granger at king's hall draco joined potter weasley and their team in the search for grayback potter's chase was as mad-eyed and frenetic as granger's lab work they pursued every lead that draco had dragged out of larsen those yielded some captures but not bloody grayback shacklebolt received an emissary from the largest vampire clan in the uk the cadaverous fellow a mr Dragavi, informed the minister that several clans had been approached by Greyback to join his cause, as the rumors was now that Granger's treatment could eventually cure vampirism. Drogavi was adamant that, by and large, vampires had no quarrel with Granger and her treatment, though stupid enough to want to give up the exquisite delights of vampirism were free to do so. The clans would be staging no actions against Granger and wished to remain well out of the conflict. If Shacklebolt would be kindly not to send oars after them, it would be much appreciated. Thank you, Minister. Shacklebolt relayed the story with a shudder. Dragavi had concluded with an offer of drinks and told Shacklebolt that, by the by, he smelled delicious. With November came the completion of the Janus Thickey renovation project. St. Mungo's, bolstered by the Malfoy gift, had not mucked about. They employed the finest magical architects and engineers to accelerate the demolition and build process resulting in a fully renovated facility within three months. St. Mungo's arranged a celebration to commemorate the completion of the new ward. Both Draco and Granger were, of course, invited as guests of honor. Granger agreed to step out of her laboratory for one hour to attend. Draco gave Smithwick a list of stringent security measures that would have to be adhered to if he wanted Healer Granger there in person. The celebration took place in the ward itself. Those patients who did not wish to participate retreated into their private suites— because, yes, they now had private suites. Upon his arrival at the ward, Draco ensured that the Oars and DMLE operatives on duty were at their post and did a legitimacy survey of the attendees. Granger arrived shortly after having received his jot that all was clear. Draco was just able to ascertain that she was looking lovely in a set of soft pink robes when she was surrounded by a crowd and disappeared from view. Mr. Malfoy, welcome, said Smithwick, appearing at Draco's elbow with a and t for him. May I offer you a tour? Let us begin with the medical facilities. Here on the main floor, a consultation room, three treatment rooms, and, my favorite, an operating theater. Draco was pleased by what he saw as they went. The new facility was impressive, but more importantly, he was certain that Granger would be overjoyed. The ward had been magically expanded and divided into two floors. A large entrance foyer opened above into an enchanted ceiling a la Hogwarts, reflecting the day's weather. Today, a gray November sky. On the upper level, there were thirty suites and a lounge. The lower level now featured an exercise studio, a small library, and a cafeteria, currently serving drinks and finger foods to the guests. At the far end of the ward, there were a few scraggly plants that had once struggled for existence. There was now a vast windowed wall looking out over London. An indoor garden had been built there. A small group was stepping through it with sounds of delight, Longbottom and his parents, Pansy brought up the rear, a steadying hand on Frank Longbottom's back. A corridor led to a hydrotherapy pool, jutting out of the main building in a feat of magical architecture. It was encircled by windows on all sides, surrounded by tropical plants. A man pounced about in a disturbingly small bathing suit with a long-suffering nurse at his heels. Draco recognized this luscious, if graying, flop of hair. Lockhart. Near the garden was a piano. One of the patients was playing something gentle on it. Her family clustered about her with smiles upon their faces. It was lavender brown. It jarred Draco seeing her. It reminded him that Greyback had been victimizing innocents for years and was still doing it. He wondered if Granger's treatment might do anything about her scars. He turned away to find himself looking at yet another Greyback victim, Remus Lupin. Lupin, looking frail, was leaning on Tonks' arm, a cane in his hand. Tonks wore a tailored men's suit for the celebration and frankly pulled it off better than most men. Tonks was fiercely protective of her private life. She had never mentioned that Lupin had become a patient here. He was the mellow voice that Draco had heard upon his first visit to the ward. They were speaking with Granger. All three of them were pointing up to the enchanted ceiling and smiling. Lupin spotted Draco and waved him over. Draco had spoken with Lupin a few times over the years, at the occasional Aura Christmas party and other events here and there. He did not like speaking with Lupin. Lupin always looked at him with a sad sort of kindness— The kindness of a teacher who watched you make poor choices, and almost destroy yourself, but still remembers the child you were. It made Draco feel squeamish, that underserved, unspoken caring. Today, however, there was a frank joy in a smile that split Lupin's gaunt face. The man of the hour. Don't flatter him too much, sniffed Tonks. He's already unmanageable. Unmanageable? Draco? I don't believe it, said Lupin, shaking Draco's hand. Granger was holding back a smile. Draco was certain that she had a few opinions of her own on his manageability. Exclamations followed on the pool, the piano, the sweets, the garden. Granger was delighted by everything and rather looked as though she wished to pounce on Draco. He positioned himself with an appropriate radius, but she did not proceed. Tonks and Lupin were drawn away by their children, who wanted to play on the piano. This came together beautifully, said Granger, positively vibrating. I'd squeeze the life out of you, but too many witnesses. Pity. It'd be a good way to go. They finally fixed that bloody sign. Have they? Draco observed the new sign. I'll miss the anus hickey ward. It did have a certain cachet. What's this about anus hickeys? Came a voice. It was Theo. We think you look like one, said Draco. Granger laughed. It was good to see. She was still there, somewhere, under that work fever. Fuck off, Draco. Hermione, hello. You look ravishing. Theo bent over Granger's hand and brushed a kiss onto it. Which was true, she did, but it was not Theo's place to say so. Draco, tight-jawed, conveyed this to Theo by impaling him with his eyes. "'How go the sonnets, Draco?' asked Theo. Draco glared. "'Shall I recite one for you?' "'No.' "'Coward.' Granger looked politely confused. "'What are you doing here anyway?' asked Draco. "'Auntie Maud. Theo gestured over his shoulder, where a patient in a long gown was looking seductively at one of the waiters. "'You're related to Maud, asked Granger." That explains so much. Does it? She's an insatiable flirt. Runs in the family. I wanted to say, well done. You two, this place is brilliant. Did you see the pool? I've half a mind to order the same thing done at Knott Manor. Theo helped himself to a spring roll from Draco's plate. Then he stole a stuffed mushroom. Then he plucked Draco's napkin from his hand, used it, and returned it. Piss off, you bloody seagull, said Draco, waving his hand at him. Go see to your aunt. Theo turned around. "'Oh, no, what is she doing?' "'Auntie Maud was eating a cocktail sausage, but indecently. "'I must away,' said Theo. "'Well done again. "'How wonderful to see you doing some good in the world, Draco. "'I always knew you had it in you.' "'He turned to Granger and pressed his hands to hers. "'He is a good man, you know, under all the dickheadery.' "'Theo left and pretended not to hear Draco inform him that he was a Belland. "'Now that they were alone again, Draco was formulating a compliment for Granger, "'because he refused to be shown up by Theo.' However, something plucked at his trouser leg and interrupted. A toddler was holding a damp cocktail sausage of dubious, modish provenance up to him for his inspection. "'Hello?' called Draco to the room at large. "'There's an unsupervised fetus here.' "'That's Mr. Belford's grandchild,' said Granger, looking about. "'Oh, the family's in the garden.' Granger put her hands on her knees and complimented the sausage. She hadn't complimented Draco's sausage, by the way. Simply a note upon the injustice.' "'Perhaps he, too, ought to parade it about, slightly moist.' Granger swept up the child to return it to its parents, leaving Draco with an empty plate, a dirty napkin, and an unspoken compliment. His mood was not improved by his next visitor, the absolute throbber that was MacLagan. There were far too many malformed sausages at this party. McLagan was looking quite handsome in a suit and tie. Draco noted that he had chosen a muggle suit. It annoyed him. "'Well done, mate,' said MacLagan, shaking Draco's hand. Incredible gift. Draco was on a mate basis with very few people, and McLagan was not one of them. He gave the man a smile that hardly merited the name. It was a mere tightening of the lips. A sm at best. McLagan prattled on about the ward for a bit, before reaching the real reason for his visit. "'Can I ask you something rather... mm, personal?' he asked. "'What?' "'Are you and Hermione... are we what? Seeing each other? Together?' "'Seeing each other? Daily. Together? All the time. Together, together? Absurd. They merely maintained a complicated equilibrium out of mutual paranoia and reasons, and shag during pagan holidays and pretended it didn't happen, and he said nothing because he didn't do feelings, but he suffered in anguish because he had them anyway, and the more he tried to quash her out of his heart, the more she lived there. A bright thing, in dark places. But it was fine, and all under control.' "'No,' said Draco, to sum it up succinctly. "'Ah,' "'Is she seeing anyone? Do you know?' "'I don't know, and frankly don't care,' said Draco, while caring deeply. "'Right. I only thought to ask you, because you two seem... friendly.' "'Friendly?' McLagan gestured to the ward around them. "'You just did all of this and said it was for her, mate.' "'It was. She saved my life.' "'Right.' "'They took a sip of their respective drinks, eyeing each other with thinly-veiled dislike. "'May I now ask you something personal?' "'asked Draco. "'All right. "'What makes you think you're good enough for her?' McLagan stared at him. "'The offense came upon him slowly. "'He stood to face Draco, "'shoulders square, face reddening. "'What do you mean by that, exactly?' "'Which word didn't you understand?' "'Never mind. "'Let me rephrase. "'You're not good enough for her.' McLagan had finished processing the insult, "'and since he hadn't the brains for a verbal resolution, "'he appeared to be moving to the next stage.' They were either about to exchange hexes or fisticuffs. "'You needn't be so offended,' said Draco with a careless shrug. "'I'm not sure anyone is good enough for her.' This gave MacLagan pause. His fist, which had been bullied at his side, relaxed. "'She can decide who's good enough for her.' "'I agree. But she likes to play hard to get. Has done since Hogwarts. She just needs a little nudge.' "'A nudge. I've got leverage.' "'Have you?' asked Draco. "'What sort of leverage?' "'Strategic seats on strategic boards.' "'A real knicker-dropper of a move, that,' McLagan shrugged. "'The usual enticements don't work on her. "'Money, looks, as you might have discovered.' "'I haven't.' "'Hmm.' "'Draco's next question was eminently casual. "'Have you spoken to Smithwick today?' Hippocrates? No. Why? "'I believe he's got a bit of news for you.' "'What news?' "'I suppose there's no harm in telling you now,' mused Draco.' "'You are no longer a member of the St. Mungo's Board of Directors.' "'What?' Draco looked apologetic. "'I had you removed. "'Sorry, mate.' "'McLagan sputtered. "'You what? "'Who the bloody hell do you think you are? "'You don't decide whether or not I—' "'I do. "'It was one of my stipulations. "'For a gift of this magnitude, they were happy to comply. "'You've apparently been considered a reputational risk for a few years. "'Something to do with your behavior around women.' "'particularly Granger. They've also brought this concern to the MNHS. I believe you're one of the trustees there. I'm not certain how long you'll keep that seat, either. Consider this a friendly heads-up. Perhaps you can resign and avoid losing face.' In the center of the foyer, Smethwick was tapping a glass and calling for everyone's attention. "'That's for me,' said Draco. He placed his plate and dirty napkin in McClagan's hands. "'Hold these. There's a good lad. I've got to go.' Smithwick, representatives from the MNHS, and healer Crutchley all made speeches. Crutchley's was by far the most touching. She had seen decades of neglect turn around in a matter of months and seemed half convinced that this was all a dream. Draco and Granger were variously pulled to the front of the crowd, made to say a few words, pulled back into the crowd, pushed forwards again, toasted, photographed, and toasted again. In the mingling that followed, Draco saw Granger being approached by members of the board. Most were treating her with a cautious respect, "'Some approached with apprehension, "'as though she might get all cutty-uppy "'and launch herself at them with a scalpel. "'They needn't have worried on that front. "'She only did that when her oars' brains "'were about to be splattered onto the floor by a viking. "'Narcissa had indicated to Draco "'that she would suffer the English damp "'for a few hours and look in on the celebration. "'She arrived in time for the speeches, "'tanned and still smelling like whatever terrace in Seville "'that she had been lingering on. "'When she spotted Granger, Narcissa greeted her "'with far more warmth than Draco would have expected.' Perhaps the heat of Seville lingered in her, too. Draco was in the clutches of the Belford family, which had gathered about him to thank him and explain Mr. Belford's long-standing bubo-tuber hemorrhoids, which had been cured, and have their toddler holding the cocktail sausage in front of his face. Draco lured them towards Granger to hear what was being said between her and his mother. Granger was gesturing towards the ward at large and expressing gratitude in that passionate way of hers. Narcissa seemed quite taken with Granger. She pressed Granger's hands into hers, Please do not speak to me of gratitude. you returned my son to the world of the living. This is but a gesture. You must tell me if there is anything else my family can do for you. How are your larders? Um, they're fine. Uh, And you've done more than enough. Really, you've gone above and beyond. That's only money, said Narcissa, with a hand wave and a lack of concern that only the truly wealthy can indulge in. She peered at the enchanted ceiling. Draco normally has little time or patience for charity work. His mind is bent on the investment side of things, you know and I manage the philanthropic activities. But in this case, he did remarkably well. He did. You managed to hone a new sort of focus in him. Oh, yes, a focus, Granger gave Narcissa one of her stiff smiles. He seems happy. I really do just want him to be happy, you know? Of course. I want him to find something, someone, to make him happy. Narcissa looked significantly at Granger, Ranger, blushing, stared at her gin fizz as though her entire being was held in its thrall. Draco considered launching himself at Narcissa and tackling her into the ground. Forgive me my mother's witterings on, said Narcissa. At any rate, he has impressed me. Perhaps he will be able to take on the mantle after all. I always wished he would be more concerned with these things, you know? Did you see the little garden? I wouldn't have put the chrysanthemums quite so close to the lily grass. They get a bit lost in it, but otherwise... The toddler escaped again and came to show Granger the cocktail sausage. "'Oh,' said Narcissa, "'is it an orphan?' "'Uh, no, he belongs to the Belfords,' said Granger, lifting the child up again and looking about the room. "'He's going to get trod on.' "'Are you sure? He looks like an orphan. He's so dirty. Perhaps he's a street urchin. Why is he holding a sausage? Did he pickpocket it? Where are the nannies?' The flock of Belfords swooped by to pick up their errant child— Granger was buffeted about between family members in a whirl of thanks and congratulations and hemorrhoid updates until Narcissa's thin hand hooked around her elbow and fished her out of the vortex to resume their conversation. Draco joined them. Ah, Draco, there you are. I was just telling Healer Granger that you've impressed me with your management of a philanthropic exercise at this scale. All I did was sign off on the transfer of funds. The planning was all... all someone else at the hospital. Oh? "'Well, someone rather brilliant, I imagine,' said Narcissa. "'It is very well thought out. Only the chrysanthemums.' Draco looked at Granger. She gave her head the most minute shake. Very well, he wouldn't point out that the brilliant someone was right here. "'You did well in your speeches, Draco,' continued Narcissa. "'Not too verbose. Do try to smile a little next time. "'We don't want to look haughty. We are men of the people, etc.' "'Of course.' Narcissa gave a little shiver and pulled her shawl more closely around her thin shoulders. Is there a draft? I believe there's a draft. Did someone open a window? I suppose it's just me. I was just in Seville, Haley Granger, and I shall be returning there directly. I cannot abide the English damp any more. I suppose it's age. Granger was called away to speak with reporters from the Prophet. Narcissa beckoned Draco closer with the crook of her finger. Draco, she said in a conspiratorial whisper. There was rebutoe on her breath, sherry and lemon. It wasn't the heat of Seville that was lingering in her. His mother was nicely tipsy and having a grand time of it. It explained the volubility. What? I've been thinking, said Narcissa. Oh, no. Yes. Do we know if Healer Granger is single? Mother. I am merely curious. I've been pondering. Possibilities. Don't be so defensive. You look as though you've licked a nettle. Do you like her? I think you ought to like her. She is not milk toast. You still haven't told me in what capacity you are working together. I literally cannot tell you that. I've taken a vow of secrecy. Have you? Hmm, it must be important then. Find out if she's single. Be proactive, Draco. Mother, I am merely making a suggestion. Passivity breeds only pain, dear. I learned this over a long life of it. Don't be like me. Oh, watch out behind you. That orphan is back again. Mind your pockets. No, no, child, I don't want the sausage. Narcissa drifted off to continue her rounds and vaguely promised to send Draco a jot when she returned to Seville. It was Draco's turn to be interviewed by the Prophet. He said various nice things about the importance of long-term care and giving, all while reeling at his mother's new infatuation with Granger. The rogue toddler continued its rampage. It tugged at Longbottom's trousers with vigor. Draco looked over at precisely the wrong moment. The trousers slid down and opened, before him, a magnificent panorama of Longbottom's Longbottom. Healer Crutchley gave Draco and Granger enormous hugs, suffocating both of them in turn in her ample chest. Granger came back up for air, looking mildly disturbed. Draco, more accustomed to tits in his face, merely fixed his hair. When they were free of Crutchley's abundant bosoms, Granger pulled Draco to the side. "'Smethwick's just told me about MacLagan's seat on the board. What's that you doing?' she asked. "'Me? No. I don't meddle with affairs of hospital governance.' "'I don't believe you.' "'You're right not to.' "'Does Smethwick tell you who the vacant seat would be going to?' "'No.' "'Me,' said Draco. "'Granger's eyebrows rose. "'Congratulations! "'A whole new pestilence of incompetence awaits you.' "'No, it awaits you.' "'What?' "'I've named you my delegate for the seat. "'I hope that's all right.' "'The smile. "'God's the smile.' "'That is very all right,' said Granger. "'The brightness in her eyes, the lip bite, the glance down. "'Whip them into shape, Granger.' It will be my absolute pleasure, to. They sipped their drinks. Now she was giving him a long and wondering look. What? asked Draco. Nothing. Well, something. I agree with Ernie. Oh? They're all right after all these Malfoys. Draco touched his glass to hers with his most Malfoyish smirk. The celebration drew to a close. After goodbyes, Draco accompanied a disillusioned Granger to the St. Mungo's foyer, where a line of hearths flickered. They found the place unusually crowded. There was a crush of people milling about and sounds of confusion. Pieces of parchment were fluttering everywhere, stuck to the ceiling, fixed upon windows, blowing about. Montjoy, one of the oars on duty, shoved his way to Draco and Granger. Get her out of here, he muttered when he got close. What's going on? Montjoy used a low-level depulso to push people out of the way as Draco pulled Granger's invisible self towards the fires. Hundreds, thousands of these all over the foyer, said Montjoy. "'snatching up a piece of parchment. "'Humphrey's just jotted me. "'Says they're all over the Ministry, too. "'There was a Gemino curse on the parchment. "'Even as Montjoy held it, "'duplicates sprang into existence "'and spilled onto the floor. "'Upon the parchment was a photograph of Granger, "'and below it, the following lines, in a rough, uneven hand. "'Give me Granger, and the attacks stop.' "'They had expected an escalation from Greyback, "'and there it was. "'It happened not in the form of another direct attack on her,' but something far more insidious, something that turned the eyes of the entire wizarding population on her and offered a hideous incentive to help Greyback reach her. Key magical locations in the UK had received the same treatment as St. Mungo's. In collaboration with Granger, the Ministry released a statement on the nature of her breakthrough, with the announcement that a cure for lycanthropy was proceeding to clinical trials. Greyback's self-interested cowardice was exposed. But, as November's full moon drew nearer, There were whispers, too. Two terror-filled full moons had passed and another one loomed. The population was on edge. Some had already lost. Some were terrified of losing. The damage was done. Granger could no longer go out in public. She was, for all intents and purposes, confined to the manor and the lab. She took the hardship as well as Draco could have hoped. If Greyback had intended to isolate her, he failed. Her jotter buzzed endlessly with messages of support. Her cottage was half-buried in letters. Requests to participate in the clinical trials flooded her postbox at Cambridge from all over the world. The Prophet's front page was plastered with editorial outrage and the letters from the populace expressing their disgust at Greyback's attempt at corrosion. Narcissa sent Draco an alarmed jot to make sure he kept Healer Granger safe from that lunatic, should they offer the manor to her. When Draco showed her the note, Granger smiled the first smile he'd seen in days. During November's full moon, the Danish Orr HQ sent a detachment of 30 of their own oars to assist with the next round of attacks. Between that and a population that was now taking the threat seriously, only eight were infected, none killed. November faded into December. There were good moments with the bad. Granger's fire, far from being quenched by Greyback, flared even more impressively. In a moment of triumph, at the lab that Draco felt honored to witness— she completed the synthesis of the first batch of doses for the cure for lycanthropy. The laboratory was rocked by shrieks, jumps, and applause as the entirety of Granger's team heaped themselves upon her. Then they all sat or laid down on the floor, and someone opened champagne, and they passed the bottle around because they were too exhausted to conjure glasses. Granger attempted to make a speech, but her voice failed, and she put her face in her hands and was racked with silent sobs, This began a chain reaction of crying throughout her team, which only ceased when three or four more bottles of champagne had been consumed. Many hours later, Draco found himself standing in a silent laboratory at midnight, with everyone asleep on the floor at his feet. He carried Granger home through the flue. Granger finished passing submissions through a hideous maze of codes, authorities, standards, and research and ethics review boards, and began her clinical trials. Lupin was amongst the first group of patients to receive a dose— Draco escorted a disillusioned Granger to St. Mungo's to administer it. Lupin's family was all around him. Tonks held one hand, his teenage son the other. His daughter was upon his knees. Granger was all gentle professionalism as she administered the infusion. There was a smile on Lupin's thin face, and hope in his eyes that matched the hope that was pushed into his veins. Draco saw Tonks cry for the first time. When Draco and Granger returned to the manor that afternoon— Granger, her own eyes rather bright, said that she fancied a walk, and would he like to come? He would, of course. They cast warming charms upon themselves, then crunched along a frosty path bordered by ferns of ice and creaking birches, silver on white. Their breath streamed behind them. For a time, they said nothing. Granger was thoughtful as she picked her way past frozen puddles. Draco kept pace with her small steps, sometimes just behind her, sometimes next to her. They came to the end of the path. It gave out onto a mirror lake whose edges glittered with new frost. The air smelled cold and clear, so pure that it was dizzying to take in too deep a breath. Granger stood upon the embankments and clasped her mittens' hands together. Draco came to stand next to her. They stood in silence. He nudged her with his elbow. She looked up at him. "'You did it,' said Draco. Granger pressed her mittens to her mouth, smiling incredulously. "'I—yes.' We need to see how the numbers come back after the first few infusions, but... Yes. She looked up at the sky, winnowed by the wind. It was one of those December days when the firmament is a pure blue brilliance. The white puff of her sigh was carried up by a gust and disappeared into it. There was a lovely, trembling sort of joy about her. The exhausted, can't-believe-it joy of one who has just achieved something after much effort and is slowly coming to revel in the elation of it. There were tears in her eyes. She took in a shaky breath. Draco gave her a handkerchief instead of a bone-crushing hug he wanted to give her. "'I should like to point out that these are happy tears,' said Granger with a sniff. "'Obviously.' Granger dabbed her eyes, then held the handkerchief to her chest. She cleared her throat. "'I'll be writing an article in this project, now that my work is public. Perhaps even a book. And I shall have a long list of dedications and thanks. This has been the work of many hands and many minds.' Everyone at the lab, of course, and so many colleagues whose work I incorporated, and the researchers that came before me, and— And? I'd like to add you, said Granger. An unexpected spark of happiness was lit in Draco. Would you? Yes. I'd be honored, said Draco, unable to stop a delighted grin from making its way across his face. I haven't decided how to phrase it yet. Would you prefer anonymity? I could use some sort of epithet. I would like to thank the thorn in my side. The nuisance or, suggested Draco. The opportunistic ghoul. The real pestilence of incompetence. Crutch? Well, then you must sign off as hormone. That may be difficult to explain to the editor. Do you think partner in unspecified crimes would constitute an admission of guilt? I don't know. You're the orror. Hmm, better not. Perhaps I shall simply say my heartfelt thanks to Draco Malfoy. I like it whose hair was sacrificed many times for the cause. That adds quite the gravitas. That's settled, then. Thank you. We ought to celebrate. Do you want to invite anyone to the manor tonight? I have a bottle of 1972. 1972? Goodness, no. Save it for a special occasion. You are the special occasion. Granger laughed, then grew pensive. At length, she said, Quite frankly, tonight, I'd rather do nothing at all. She looked out at the still lake. Under her coat, her shoulders relaxed. With the first infusions completed, a tremendous pressure had been lifted from her. The mania of the fire had abated. She was back in her own head again. Draco felt the change when their eyes met. Now he wasn't being repelled by fever heat and a mind too burdened to spare a thought to anything but the work. Now he was drawn in again by the usual warmth, the quiet attraction, the pull. He held out his elbow to her. Let's go do nothing at all. I don't believe anyone has ever deserved it more. They hadn't really touched each other since Spain. She looked up at him with a swift smile. He felt her grasp upon his elbow and the press of warm fingers through his cloak. She was back. His heart soared with the wind and went to meet the sky. Chapter 32 A Pedagogical Exchange At the manor, a briskly snapping fire awaited them in the smallest salon. The curtains had been drawn against the darkening sky. Henriette laid out a small gouture of cheese, squares, tamponade, and tiny quiche Lorraine. They divested themselves of their winter things. Draco installed himself in an armchair, in shirt sleeves and braces. Granger flung herself onto one of the sofas, folded her hands upon her chest, and smiled at the ceiling. Her elation was catching. Draco, too, felt a deep gladness, for the wizarding world at large, but also for her, for having achieved something so meaningful after so much effort. The months had been long, the dangers had been many, the occasions for giving up innumerable. And she hadn't given up. She pushed through, and she had gone forth and conquered. He brimmed with admiration. To communicate this powerful emotion, Draco floated a cube of cheese over Granger's face. Can I help you? asked Granger to the cheese. You haven't eaten. Henriette will be vexed. Now he tried to float the cheese into her mouth. It bumped her nose and her chin. Granger swatted away the cheese. Draco wished to indicate that he was better at aiming for mouths with other things. Granger sat up and summoned a few crackers towards herself. It was the first time they'd eaten together in a long time. Draco watched her partake in one of the quiche Lorraine's in small bites. What? asked Granger. You eat like a pygmy, Puff. Granger looked provoked. Then she sniffed. "'I should like to compare you to some creature or other, but I must be fair. "'Poor table manners don't number amongst your many flaws.' "'Draco was simultaneously flattered and offended. "'My many flaws!' "'Now Granger looked prim. "'What did I do?' asked Draco. "'What didn't I do?' "'Just another broken promise,' said Granger, lightly as one would, "'if one's trust in men had been obliterated, yet again, by Draco Malfoy. "'Oh, are we doing this again?' "'Yes,' "'Which promise?' "'You never taught me the Calais Presidium.' Draco was piqued. "'You never taught me the things you were meant to, either.' Granger was holding back a smile. "'I suppose we've both been a bit busy.' "'A bit.' "'Are you busy tonight?' asked Granger. "'You're meant to be doing nothing.' "'I know.' "'Learning my most complex ward is not nothing. "'Permit me this extravagance.' "'Fine, but you're going to teach me the rune at command.' Granger hopped to her feet and looked eager. All right. She had managed to do nothing for all of ten minutes. Let's go to my study, said Draco. I shall have to draw some things out. It gets a bit theoretical. Ooh, said Granger, following him out of the salon. I like theory. Granger opened the door to his study and stepped aside to let her in. She looked about, taking in the furnishings, the heavy curtains, the candles floating in glowing clusters. The fire sputtered and purred one wall was dominated by a painting of some of his grandfather's prized abraxans the winged horse's ears pricked at the sight of granger one gave her a curious little wicker draco sat himself behind his desk he had expected that granger would take one of the two seats for guests across from it however when she saw him drawing parchment and an inkpot towards himself she joined him on his side of the desk and perched herself upon one of his chair's wide armrests. draco did not mind this invasion of personal space in the least It felt wonderful to have her back. So, Calais Presidium. Draco inked his quill and drew out a few lines. I suppose you know what a geodesic polyhedron is. I do. Some viruses have capsids shaped like geodesic polyhedra, actually. Capsids? A sort of shell, made of protein. Granger waved her hand at him. Continue. Right. My intent with this ward was to distribute any incoming magical forces throughout the structure— Most traditional wards have a point of weakness that can be brute-forced through concussive or compressive magics, especially the parabolic wards that we typically see used over dwellings. No ward is unbreakable, of course, but Calais Presidium requires far more magical pressure over a longer period to crack. Draco drew a few more polyhedra. In essence, the more vertices cross the sphere, like this, the stronger it is. After you've established the ward's desired scale and strength— you need a bit of arithmetic to divide its face and calculate its potency. So in this dodecahedron, for example, he sketched it out, I could divide these pentagons up into triangles, and from there into even smaller triangles. This gives us great many more vertices. That's called augmentation. He looked up to see if he had lost his audience yet. But no, Granger, her hands folded upon her lap, was the very picture of rapt attention. He could still smell winter on his own clothes, but she smelled of the fire from the salon. Now for the arithmancy. This formula, he wrote it out, gives us the number of vertices the polyhedron will have and its potential magical force. Of course, the more complex it is, the more exhausting to cast, but the longer it will last. Ooh, said Granger, eyeing the formula. That's multiplex arithmancy. I haven't done that since uni. Can I have a go? Draco jotted out an example for her to work on and passed her the quill. She leaned upon an elbow. There was a quiet delight in her as she worked in the press of the quill on the parchment, in the thinking. She solved it in half a minute, which was, frankly, fucking sexy. A little tingle of pleasure cursed through Draco. He produced a more challenging example and gave her the quill again. He sat back to observe her. She brushed the tip of the feather against her lip as she pondered the new problem. Over his many years as an eligible bachelor and general libertine, Draco had been on the receiving end of a great many seduction tactics. Granger's inattentive lip-brushing ranked amongst the most tantalizing. After a longer bit of working out, she solved the second example, too. Draco was titillated. He wished that she would slide off the armrest and fall into his lap. That would be the pinnacle of whatever this was. This sapiophile's wet dream. Granger in his lap, solving obscure bits of arithmetic exponentiation. His next challenge was unfair. Granger attempted it, stopped in confusion, then gave him an accusatory look before breaking the arithmancy down in reverse. Your starting point was pentagon's. This one has square facets.' "'Well spotted,' smirked Draco. He held his hand out for her to return the quill. "'What happens if we augment it?' asked Granger, withholding the quill. "'We would render the fabric of the universe, I expect.' "'Well, let's see.' She worked through the calculation. "'Oh, a geodesic subdivision resulting in right-angled triangles, not equilateral ones. Not as strong, I suppose.' Draco looked at Granger's interesting creation— "'That would be my assumption, too. "'There's a beauty in it, isn't there?' "'There is,' said Draco, "'not talking about geometry, obviously. "'Are you game for one more?' "'Granger looked suspicious. "'All right. "'No tricks this time, I promise. "'Only complexities.' He produced a final example, a rather nasty one, to ensure that she would be occupied for longer than a moment, so that he could indulge in this experience, in the push of her hip against his arm, in the brush of her heel against his shin.' Hmm, said Granger. I need to use Kohler's law. You know Kohler's? I do. My word, this has become stimulating. Granger pressed her lips together. Whether I can remember it all, however. She planted two elbows on the desk and muttered vague recollections of Kohler's. Yes, stimulating. His cock twist out a hello against his inner thigh. Granger had taken off her bulky jumper and was wearing a thin muggle top. Draco stared at the flare of her hips, very holdable, you know, very nicely shaped for a man's hands, if a man were having filthy thoughts while a woman calculated primary vertices. He decided to avert his eyes before he developed a full-on erection. The window across from his desk provided unhelpful distraction. It was dark outside, and all he could see was a reflection of the candlelit study. Granger was leaning over, providing a lovely view of cleavage and the top edge of her bra. "'Brilliant.' Should he just have a wank over his principal right here? She was distracted, and it would probably take him a minute. Gods. Granger made some breakthrough or other and began to scribble away. Done, she said, and flung down the quill. Draco leaned forward to study the parchment and her elegant solution. Yes, she had done it. And it was fucking erotic. The inkpot on his desk exploded. Granger jumped. What the? An uncontrolled magical spurt. Wonderful. "'a step above coming in his pants. "'Sorry,' said Draco, "'vanishing away the evidence of his premature ink-jaculation. "'Are you all right?' "'I was overstimulated.' "'Overstimulated,' repeated Granger, "'looking far more mystified than she had any point during his explanation. "'Draco cleared his throat. "'Shall we carry on?' "'You'll be doing these calcs in your head after the first few times. "'The wand movement is similar to salviohexia.' Only we want the upwards cuts to equal C3, which can take a long time, as you might imagine. The casting intent isn't protection, it's fortification. Do take note of that, the nuance matters. The incantation is calais Presidium. Once, at the beginning, that's all. Right, said Granger. Let me give it a go. Ward the door. Draco took advantage of her shifted attention to pull out a trouser leg, discreetly so that the bulge looked like an innocuous fold in the material. More or less. Granger cast the spell a few times, interspersed with a few more scribbles of arithmancy. Her casting was slow, and her ward was small, but it was clear that she had understood the gist of it. On her fifth attempt, a fairly credible silvery net splayed itself across the door, shimmered, and disappeared. "'Well done,' said Draco, instead of "'I am wildly turned on at the moment. "'I shall have to practice. "'What an interesting ward. "'I've not seen arithmancy applied to spell work this way, "'I don't think.' "'It's useful. I've tried to teach it to other oars, but most of them don't have any interest as soon as they see the arithmetic notations.' Granger tutted. "'They're loss.' She made as though to get up, but Draco touched his fingers to her arm. "'What?' "'Our quid pro quo, Professor. The runic command.' "'Right.' Granger shifted in her seat to face him. One of her legs was tucked under her where she perched on the armrest. The other rested slightly between his. "'Very good.' "'Granger held up her wand and drew out four golden runes. "'The candles went out, and the fire in the hearth reduced to a glow of embers. "'Oops,' said Granger in her sudden darkness. "'She waved her wand, and the candles lit themselves again. "'It's an apotrochaic syntax. "'The runes are from the Megan runar syllabary, "'but I interpolated prosodics from the runital. "'It translates, broadly, to extinguish. "'Try the incantation first. "'The annotation is a bit tricky.' Draco tried.' Granger shook her head and repeated the ancient syllables slowly. He tried again. Granger tutted. You're tripping up on the palliative adjectives. The what? Stop sounding so posh. You're speaking ancient runic, not ordering foie gras at the Seneca. Draco tried again, infusing a bit of Nordic harshness to his speech. Better. If only you spoke German instead of the French. Granger sighed and looked wistful. Their fricatives are to die for. Now the runes. Granger plucked up the quill and dipped it into the fragmented remains of the inkpot. She drew four runes on the parchment. Draco copied them. The focus was good for him. He was apparently unable to concentrate on runes and sustain an erection at the same time. Granger took a vast, teasing pleasure in critiquing his calligraphy. Oh, no. You've made Laguz too squishy. Straighten that up. Good. A bit more confidence in the downward stroke. Right. Try again. What's happening over here? The roof collapsed over Herfavorre? How does one draw such a perfect polyhedra and then do that to a rune? It's got four lines. As for this exhibit, is it a cheesy what's-it? And what is that? Another one of your hedgehogs. And this? A spot of hyperbolic geometry. You're going to rend the fabric of the universe at this rate. Draco did not rend the fabric of the universe, but he did laugh too hard and poke a hole through the parchment. Granger studied it with a held-back smile, but offered no censure. Runes are meant to be carved, after all. After a few more practice runs, Granger pronounced herself pleased. They progressed to the wand movements. To prevent any universe-rendering or other botheration, Granger put her hand over his as he drew out the runes into the air. Her hand was gentle over his, her palm soft over his knuckles. Draco's first few attempts, paired with his horrid pronunciation, were botched aberrations. Then Granger spoke the rune at command with him, and that, along with her guided hand, resulted in the glow of golden runes, suspended, only for a moment, in the air. The candles flickered. Granger removed her hand from his so that he could crack on by himself. Draco pondered whether he ought to feign incompetence, but he also did not wish to look stupid in front of her. A dilemma for the ages. Pride won out. He tried again, and the runes glowed for a longer moment, and half the candles in the study were extinguished. The fire, however, crackled on merrily, impertinent thing— "That was a very fair attempt," said Granger. "Well done." She was looking at him with a mixture of satisfaction and admiration, which pleased Draco very much and sent lovely little flutterings to both his ego and his groin. Granger, sadly, decided to end her perching upon his chair. She rose with a groan and pressed a hand to her arse. "My bum's gone numb. Shall I massage it?" said Draco. "That is quite all right," said Granger with a laugh. He hadn't been joking, but fine. Granger stretched, yawned and eyed the door. Draco was not ready to let her go yet. He felt as though he had only just got her back. Are you off to do nothing? Granger observed him with a raised eyebrow. You look as though you've a compelling alternative in mind. I've thought of a new bargaining chip. For the computer. But it can wait. Now you've intrigued me. Have I? Oh, no. What is it? Come with me. They left the study. Granger fell into step beside Draco. With a few extra hops forward here and there... "'given the relative lengths of their strides. "'Where are we going?' First, it was meant to be a birthday present, "'as I didn't know what to get you, "'because you're a mogul and you can buy yourself anything you like. "'And I hadn't any ideas besides appalling pajamas "'or other less appropriate... "'Anyway, Mabon came and went, and I lost the moment. "'Then I wanted to use it to cheer you up "'when Greyback put his vile posters all over London. "'But you were consumed by your work and hardly had time to sleep. "'They arrived at a set of double doors.' Now, since I've missed all of my windows of opportunity, I've decided that I might as well be a proper scoundrel about it and use it as leverage for the computer. Draco breathed out a soft, oh, when she recognized the doors. She turned to Draco, the beginnings of a smile upon her lips. Strategic. I approve. Wand, said Draco, holding out his hand. Granger placed it in his palm. Draco held it to the doors and, with a few waves of his own wand, added Granger to a very short list of individuals permitted to enter the Malfoy Library. He pushed open one of the doors. Granger took an excited step forwards, but found the way barred by his arm. She looked up at him. "'Yes?' "'The computer.' "'I will be your personal tutor until you've learned everything your little black heart desires.' Draco smirked. They shook hands, and to his delight, Granger did not let go afterwards." She pulled him into the library behind her, and drew him along as she discovered the place. It was gratifying to be with her as she explored the library, which took up an entire wing of the manor. It was part enormous reading room, part traditional stacks, part personal museum. Tall windows gave out onto the forest and the lake along the estate's western edge. A fire crackled. Reading desks and oversized armchairs were placed in thoughtful arrangements here and there, lit by magical lanterns. Granger's gasp continued to be an enormous source of pleasure. She requested a tour. Draco provided. They wandered through the stacks and display cases. Granger queried Draco upon the classification system, on the Malfoy's acquisition philosophy, on their weeding plan. There was a soft light in her eyes. Draco was expounding, very interestingly and intelligently, he thought, on the principles that guided his acquisitions in weeding, when he noticed that her gaze was unfocused. "'Are you still with me?' asked Draco. "'Yes,' said Granger, blinking. Draco continued. She drifted off again. "'Hello,' said Draco, vexed. "'Sorry, yes, I'm here.' Draco decided to reschedule the lecture, as he was clearly not as fascinating as he thought he was. Granger had a vague smile on her face. They walked past books and tomes and periodicals, and a small collection of prints and drawings. He showed her the cartography collection. A scrawled Here There Be Monsters was inscribed upon his seventeenth-century map— Draco pointed at a tiny speck amongst sea monsters and said that it was Granger. They passed through the rare books collection, displayed under glass. Granger sighed as she observed the ancient grimoires and manuscripts there. Who decided to put the Book of Din Eden under non-fiction, she gasped, coming to a sudden halt as she passed a shelf. Me, said Draco. "Tisk," said Granger. The battle happened. That is open to interpretation, said Granger, with no small degree of swat. That bard's very existence is unsubstantiated. You'd be better off putting it under poetry, I think kind of you to share your opinion, but this is library et' ses moi said Draco Granger looked to be fomenting thoughts on revolution. They finished their tour. Granger found the sofa nearest the fire and curled up on it, and looked at the library as one might admire a prospective view over a beautiful landscape. This may be my favorite spot in the entire estate, maybe. What others would you compete for your affections? Granger enumerated upon her fingers. I like the small salon near the back of the house, the one we were in today. It was ever so cozy when Henriette had the fire going. The terrace where we ate over the summer, that was just lovely. The rose garden is an absolute dream, of course. She trailed off as Draco seated himself next to her. What about a certain window ledge? Asked Draco. It took her a moment, but Granger gathered his meaning and went pink across the cheeks. "'I'm not sure I remember that one.' "'No?' "'No.' "'Right. I think you were dreaming.' A rather tense silence descended upon the library. Granger was the first to crack. She leapt to her feet. "'Shall I teach you the computer? I'll go fetch it.' "'But we had just got around to doing nothing,' said Draco. Granger looked as though she had decided that doing nothing was a hazardous pursuit. "'We may as well. You know. It's essentially nothing. For me, anyway. It's very easy.' She did not wait for his acquiescence and disappeared to fetch the device. She returned with the computer in her arms and a stack of her pucks. You look excited, she said as she sat herself next to him. I have been pondering this item's mysteries for ages. You could have asked any Muggleborn, you know. No, I wanted you. Granger gave him an interrogative look as she pushed out a few of the buttons on the machine. It was lovely to learn the computer, because Granger slid herself closer to him until their legs touched, and balanced the device between them, and she put on her hand over his to demonstrate how the touchpad worked. All very nice. She showed him the computer's functions, to write, to research, to communicate with others, to browse the internet. The internet was a thing that Draco was not quite certain he understood, but Granger could write things like cat, or house, or oncology, into a box and information about the things came up and pictures, too. It seemed extraordinarily useful. An instant encyclopedia. Granger said that the entire contents of libraries were on it. She pushed the computer to him so that he could try the internet, but the first thing he searched for, with much belabored typing, was tits. Granger shrieked out a giggle as she watched the word appear. Malfoy! Draco gave a low whistle as he observed the results of his endeavor. Now tell me what the cloud is, and hacker's said Draco, passing the computer back to her, with five rather nice pairs of tits upon the screen. Granger got rid of the tits, a pity, and explained the cloud and hackers. The cloud was interesting, conceptually. The hackers' lack of axes or other violent weaponry disappointed him. Granger confirmed that there were usually no bloodshed involved, anticlimactic overall. When Draco had finished poking about on the computer, Bums and Draco completed his tour of the internet, He passed it back to Granger, who rose and began to put the things away. "'That was informative,' said Draco. "'Now I know all your secrets.' "'Hmm. I may have overplayed my hand. I don't know all of yours.' "'Oh?' Granger moved towards the door. "'But this has been an illuminating evening. Regardless, thank you for giving me access to the library. It's—' Draco had risen, too, and blocked her before she could reach the door handle. "'Which secret of mine is intriguing you?' Granger shook her head. "'It's stupid. I won't tell you.' "'Well, now I need to know.' "'You don't need to know,' said Granger, stepping away from him. There was a smile making its way upon her face. "'I do. You live in my house. You've seen me stark bollock naked. You have literally been me. What mystery persists?' Granger laughed. "'A minor one.' She took another step away. "'It's silly.' He followed her into the stacks that she was backing into. "'Tell me.' "'No.' "'I shall back you into a corner and hex it out of you,' said Draco. "'He made good on the first part of the threat. "'After a few more steps backward, Granger was cornered. "'She gasped in faux outrage. "'You wouldn't dare!' "'The little chase into the stacks filled him with an unexpected rush of endorphins. "'His breathing picked up. "'I would,' said Draco. "'He came closer. "'I'd teach you what a real ruptured bollock feels like,' said Granger. "'You can do whatever you like with my bollocks.' "'He took another step towards her.' "'Don't make promises you can't keep,' said Granger. She was against the stacks now, and had nowhere to go. He smelled fire. He looked down at her. She looked up at him. He felt that much of his future happiness lay in those bright eyes. "'What secret?' he prompted again, because if he didn't occupy his mouth with queries, it might do something idiotic, such as declare undying devotion to her. She looked off to the side, as though calculating an escape route, Draco threw an arm up to bar the way. She looked to the other side. Draco put a single finger under her chin and turned her back towards him. "'You're terribly insistent,' said Granger. "'I get what I want,' said Draco. Granger gave him a magnificent eye-roll. Then, relenting at last, she relaxed against the shells and beckoned him closer. He crowded in with delight. A bit of her hair caught in his end-of-the-day stubble as he leaned in. "'The whipped cream,' whispered Granger into his ear. "'Ah,' said Draco, It was his turn to grin, more than grin. He leaned his forehead into her shoulder and laughed. "'I await your answer,' said Granger, her breath brushing at the side of his neck. Draco lifted his head and said, "'I think it would require a practical demonstration.' "'Demonstration is one of the more effective pedagogical methods,' nodded Granger. "'Unfortunately, it wouldn't be gentlemanly, or appropriate, or wise.' Granger looked unsurprised. "'What a pity.' "'The tragedy of it rends my very being,' said Draco, hardly exaggerating. Granger ran a hand down his arms and tutted. "'Still wearing the silver cufflinks. We haven't learned our lesson on the dangers of transition metals. Perhaps we've been hoping for a reprise.' "'Repetition is also an excellent pedagogical method,' nodded Granger. "'I await instruction,' said Draco, an absurd amount of hope in his voice. "'Oh, no.' That, too, would require a practical demonstration. Oh? Unladylike. Inappropriate. Unwise. All the best things are. Granger gave him the most adorable, dangerous little smirk. Perhaps I'll show you when you show me the whipped cream. You are devious and cruel. Thank you. May I inquire about another minor secret while I have you? Yes. She had him in so many senses of the term— It was a bit ridiculous. "'What was the thing that you thought of buying for me, "'other than the appalling pajamas? "'The inappropriate thing?' Draco teetered on the edge of the fulcrum. "'That was nothing,' he said, "'instead of indicating that he had visited a lingerie shop "'in Muggle London and daydreamed about it for days. "'Nothing. "'I ought to push you into the stacks "'and tyrannize you into an answer.' "'Yes, she had him. "'His heart, that stupid and useless organ, was full. "'Please do.' said Draco. She put a single finger to his chest and backed him up. He hadn't far to go before he hit the stacks behind him, half a step at best. A shelf dug into his back. Her fingertip pushed lightly into his front. Could she feel his heart? Probably. Tell me, said Granger. "Mm, No. Granger hooked a finger into his collar and rose to her toes. Tell me, she whispered against his jaw, or else— just a few sweet nothings and sweet threatenings and barely their touching, and he was back in the spin of the vertigo. The gentle euphoria was upon him. He was love-struck, Granger-addled fool. Shant, said Draco. What were they even talking about? It was her turn to put her fingers on his chin. She drew his face to her. Give us the barest of hints, then, she said, fluttering as she did, the barest of hints of her breath against his mouth you are terribly insistent. I, too, get what I want.' "'Is it still want when the thing you want is so willing to give itself to you?' asked Draco. "'Deep philosophies amongst the stacks,' said Granger. "'Stop trying to distract me.' "'You're the one distracting me,' said Draco, their noses touched. "'I haven't any idea what we're on about.' "'Inappropriate presence.' "'Right,' "'What must I threaten you with to disclose this information?' asked Granger, searching his eyes, a smile in her voice. Draco put his forehead against hers. "'Withholding whatever you're teasing me with at the moment.' "'A conundrum,' she drew a finger along his jaw. "'Difficult to withhold when I so want to give. More philosophies to delight and intrigue.' She breathed against his mouth for a moment longer. It was an exquisite exercise in self-control to not slide his hand around the back of her neck and pull her to him. Granger drew away by an inch or two. I am withholding. Talk. Heartless, said Draco. Satisfy my curiosity, and I'll satisfy these. These what? Philosophical inquiries. What a charming bit of bribery. Will it work? Or are trained against that? Aren't they? In principe. But my... F- Professional integrity crumbles before you, yet again. Oh, no, said Granger. You needn't look so smug. Tell me. I simply wanted to buy you less appalling nightwear. Thoughtful. Nothing too inappropriate about that. It was a muggle lingerie shop. Oh. Muggles are very imaginative with their nightwear, you know. Far more than our wizarding equivalents. So many strappy thingies lace garters, camisoles, lovely matching sets, naughty little ensembles, all of which occupied my thoughts for far too long afterwards. There was a blush on Granger's cheeks. "'I told you it was inappropriate,' said Draco. "'Dreadfully,' said Granger. "'Come here so I can give you your bribe.' Draco leaned down. She placed a kiss onto his lips and pulled away before he could respond in kind. It wasn't enough. None of this was enough. He wanted to kiss her slowly.' He wanted to back her up into those stacks and lift her and squeeze all of his want into her. "'I should have negotiated parameters for this bribe's duration and intensity,' mused Draco. "'It's probably wiser this way,' said Granger. Her gaze flitted back to his mouth. Then, with an effort, she looked away. She twisted idly at one of his cufflinks, delicate fingertips brushed at his wrist. "'You didn't ask me where my favorite spot was on the estate,' said Draco. "'Oh?' "'Well, where is it?' "'Here. "'It is a beautiful library. "'No, here. "'With you.' "'He caught her hand when she played with his cufflinks "'and entwined his fingers with hers. "'She smiled that smile that made him soar. "'She was a light amongst the shadows, doe eyed blush-cheeked, golden-souled. "'His heart was full of her. "'Her mind, her wit, her magic, her ambition, "'her beauty, her chaos. "'He felt himself at the edge of the fall.' He could love her. Gods, he could love her. He ran a finger along her cheek. He might love her already, in secret heartbeats and stolen touches and slow looks. There was a tearing and a dissonance, a pleasurable pain, and his mind stretched to accept what his heart already knew. He loved her already. It tore. It suffered in silence. She, unaware of his ordeal, turned her face into his hand. Against his palm, the softness of her cheek, the press of her smile. He was so full of longing it hurt. He was wretched. "'I've missed you,' said Draco, his voice caught at the edges. The horrible, heart-on-sleeve sincerity of it appalled him. She, bless her, responded in kind. "'I've missed you, too.' There was a breathiness in the words, the unsteady, of the suppressed emotion. "'I feel as though I'm back in the world of the living.' He held her close. He ran his thumb over her ring. "'You must tell me when you've recovered your capacity for... complications.' "'She looked up at him with lips parted and eyes the color of curiosity. "'He felt her returning touch against his knuckles. "'After today, I may have a spot of wiggle room. "'What if we were just a bit stupid, then? "'Let's be stupid.' "'She slipped her fingers under his braces where they lay against his shoulders "'and pulled him towards her. "'He backed her into the books.' He kissed her slowly, as he had wanted to, and lifted her against the stacks, as he had wanted to, and squeezed all of his want into it. Her lips smiled against his. Her kiss was sweet, and God's it felt like love. They snogged like idiot teenagers amongst the shadowy stacks. She was as beautiful as he imagined she would be, pressed against the books. Her hair came loose. He breathed her in by the lungful, by the heartful. Small fingers sought something to hold, slipped out went to his shoulder, and then found his collar. There was such a loveliness in all of it, her mouth keeping pace with his slow kisses, the lightness of her in his arms, her gasps. It was a rapture, a magic. He wanted to tell her that she had him, that he was hers. He wanted her for his own. He loved her. He kissed this realization into her neck. It was light-headed with it, sick with it, afloat with it. The dinner gong rang. After the stupidities, gorgeous, bright, shining stupidities, Draco found that there was love in everything he did. It was in the door he held open for her as they left the library. It was the brush of his shoulder against hers in the corridor, in his walking her to the dining room. There was a desperate love when he stood still for her to fix his collar. There was tender love when he pulled out her chair. There was aching love in pouring her a glass of wine. When he, like a fool, reached to push a curl of her hair behind her ear— It was wrecked with love. He teased her for her small bites because he loved her. He threatened to steal her last profiteral because he loved her. It was why he followed her into crypts, why he wrestled hinds in swamps, why he kissed her scar. And that pull, that gravitational force, was falling into love over and over again. At the foot of the stairs after dinner, there was a frightened love in his good night, pulling back on itself, trying to keep itself secret his sleep well sounded like, come here and kiss me again. As she went up the stairs and he watched her ascend, her every step away from him was a heartache. He ran his hand through his hair and stared at the empty stairs. He loved her. It was in every embrace, in flights under the stars, in crossing of swords, in secret ballroom dances, in the giving of things, in the life savings, in the passing of handkerchiefs, in the accidental touchings, the arguing about hyphenated surnames, the drunken picnics, the shared cups of tea. He loved her. She made him understand the word. Chapter 33 Heroics. Hazards of. Notorious or Draco Malfoy was in love with his principal. Everything was not under control, and everything was not fine. Draco's harrowing realism made things untenable on two fronts. He therefore got out of bed the next morning with two objectives— both of which filled him with different kinds of dread. First, given that this was no longer quashable, equilibriumable, or remotely under control, he needed to speak to Tonks and resign formally from the Granger assignment. Second, having rid himself of the fetters of their professional relationship, he was going to go to Granger and bear his anguished soul to her. And, if that went well, he formed a vague tertiary objective involving snogging her to within an inch of her life. Also shagging her to within an inch of her life, but first the snogging was a gentleman. Draco arrived at the office that morning, well, morning-ish, to find Potter preparing to hold a WTF update. He asked Tonks if he might have a word with her after the meeting. She fixed him with an inquisitive look, nodded, then gestured at him to sit down. Potter was about to begin. As Potter enumerated a few of the WTF's limited successes that week, Draco rehearsed his speech to Tonks. He would say that he was taking her up on her prior offer to drop the Granger job, He would insist that Granger keep the ring, but remove himself from the assignment in any official capacity. He would suggest that Granger stay at the manor after he resigned, as it remained the safest place for her. Tonks would be well within her rights to press him on the wisdom of stepping aside at this rather critical juncture, and if she did, he would play it cool. It was nothing, really. Just a minor issue, hardly worth mentioning. What issue? Oh, only that he was, you know, in love with Hermione Granger. Probably had been for a few months, currently writhing in superb agonies about it— Did Tonks have a bin in her office? He might be sick. Potter and Weasley were now presenting mugshots of suspected pack members. Draco's knee jiggled. If they could get on with it, it would be wonderful, so that he might accelerate this hideous confession and crawl away somewhere dark and lonely to die like an animal. Suddenly, the ring flared to life on his finger. Granger's heart rate hit a new peak. There was a wave of echoed panic. And then there was the burn of the distress beacon. Everyone was staring at Draco, who had leapt to his feet, wand in hand. "'Granger!' he gasped. "'Now all Rose, Tonks, Potter, Weasley, Humphreys, Buckley, Brimble. "'What is it? Where is she? What's happened?' "'But now, through the ring, Draco felt only emptiness. "'His attempt to apparate resulted in nothing. "'There was no answer from Granger's ring. "'He didn't know where to go. "'He stared at his hand with slow comprehension. "'They've got her. "'They've done something to the ring. "'Disabled it or destroyed it? "'Swearing, Draco cast his tracking charm.' A map appeared before him, upon which Granger's hairpins glowed. He ran through the locations as the worried oars clustered around him. St. Mungo's, Trinity, the cottage, the manor. There, said Brimble, pointing at a cluster of pinpricks off of Scotland. The Outer Hebrids. Draco raised his wand to apparate to the point, but Tonks pulled his arm down. Hold the heroics, Malfoy. You're going to apparate to bloody Scotland? Don't be stupid. Give us one second to strategize before we all leap to our gory deaths. Draco did not care about any gory death at the moment but Granger's, and preventing it with his own, if need be. Potter and Weasley jostled for their wands, looking as wild-eyed as he felt. Tonks stuck her head out of the conference room and called for Montjoy and Gogan. "'Get up and get your arses over here!' As Montjoy and Gogan scrambled over, she asked, "'Who was on duty with Hermione at the lab?' "'Fernsby,' said Weasley. "'Humphreys, with Montjoy, to the lab. See what happened to Fernsby. Brimble, call in all available Aurors and DMLE agents.' All of you join us as soon as you're able. I have a feeling we're about to walk into the werewolf lair. Right. Nearest flue is Leverbur, said Brimble, pointing to the map. They piled into the corridor towards the Auror office's flue hearth. Draco's heart thundered in his throat, in his mouth. As they ran past Tonks' office, a hulking figure loomed in her faux glass. Tonks flicked a V at the grayback. Disillusion's on, said Tonks, tapping her head with her wand. Everyone followed suit and stepped into the flue. A confused innkeeper at Leverbur heard a gaggle of disillusioned individuals drop out of his hearth. Before he could so much as offer them a pint, they'd rattled his glassware with the cracks of their disapparations and left. The oars apparated to the tiny island amongst the outer hebrids that had glowed on Draco's map. They materialized onto a flat, green piece of coastline. There was no one to be seen. Draco was unsurprised. He had felt his apparition get forced off course by an anti-apparition ward. In his head, a screaming chorus. Where is she? Where is she? Where is she? Nothing whatsoever from the ring. He cast detection spells towards the center of the island as the oars girded themselves with protection and deflection charms. Things took an unfortunate turn. Looks like three hundred of them, if not more, said Draco as figures lit up beyond. Bloody hell, said Weasley, at the same time as Potter said, Shit. And Tonk said, Fuck. Draco cast his tracking spell again. At this proximity, the spell was able to produce a more detailed map, which showed Granger in the center of the kind of bowl-shaped depression in the terrain, bound around by the periphery by a high ridge. Wards? asked Tonks. The usual, said Draco. Anti-apparition and alarms all along the ridge around the hollow. Tonks, she's in the middle of everything. We're going to need a distraction. Take care of the wards. Buckley, Gogan, you're the distraction. Draw fire from the western edge. Tonks focused on a morph. Through the disillusion, Draco saw her features grow smaller, and her broad shoulders grow narrower. He was now looking at a disillusioned Granger. "'That's a dangerous game,' said Gogan, shaking his head. "'Brilliant,' said Potter. "'Potter, Malfoy, Weasley, with me,' said Tonks. "'Tambling's infiltration protocol. We're going to get Hermione. If we can get her out altogether, we do it. If we can't, I'll take her place. You're to extract her before they notice the swap. Send Sparks when she's safe. Then we can have a spot of fun.' Draco set himself upon the wards at the top of the ridge. He disarmed a patch large enough for the oars to squeeze through. The disillusioned forms of Gogan and Buckley sprinted off to the left. From his new vantage within the wards, Draco could see the mess that awaited them. Easily three hundred werewolves. Probably the entirety of Greyback's remaining pack. The fanatics. The true believers. They variously stood or squatted, watching something at the center of the crowd. In the middle of all of them, strapped against an enormous boulder, was Granger. She still wore her white lab coat. Draco was seized by a desire to sprint in and begin cursing. His disillusioned wand hand jerked. Tongs caught sight of the movement. She pinched his arm just above the elbow. What's the matter with you? She whispered. You'll get her killed. Get me to her. Granger looked barely conscious. Her head hung. Weasley swore under his breath. How the hell had they gotten to Granger? She'd been at the lab. Draco desperately wanted to tell her that he was here. Something like five minutes had passed since she had turned the ring. The four oars crept their way through the crowd, disillusioned, their heavy notice-me-not suppressing the werewolf's ability to perceive them. If someone did notice something—a double-take, a sniffing of the air—they were hit by a silent confundus or obliviate. As they neared the center of the group, they could hear Greyback's hoarse voice spitting out some gloating speech at Granger. Thank the gods. Thank the gods he was stupid enough, arrogant enough to gloat. Should have chosen something else to cure, shouldn't you? Came the sound of his voice, even raspier now than it had been during the war. Do I look like I need curing? Look at me, girl! Is there something wrong with me? Aren't you going to say anything? Draco hadn't cast an unforgivable since the war. At the moment, the killing curse felt like a reasonable option. What cared he for his soul when Greyback's filthy hand was under Granger's chin? Draco was going to kill him. They had at least another ten meters to go before he would be within range. The crowd grew thicker. Draco lost sight of Potter and Weasley's disillusioned shapes. Tonks was at his side. How long was Greyback going to gloat? He could snap her neck at any point between now and the swap. Greyback began to move away from Granger. It was a blessing and a curse. Every step took him further away from her, but also out of Draco's range. He walked through his pack, reveling in his victory, asking his men whether they felt they needed curing. He had a little healer here, for their pleasure. Carefully... Carefully, the oars broke through the front line, and crept nearer to the boulder where Granger was tied. The distraction came. Tongs hadn't asked for subtle. An earthquake rumbled under Draco's feet. Then there was the sound of an explosion. Draco felt the heat of it, a searing wind across his face. It sounded as though Gogan and Buckley had invented an entirely new, volcano-scaled bombarda, and decided to take out as many werewolves as they could in the process. As the werewolf scattered in confusion, the disillusioned oars flanked Granger. Greyback, unaware of the company, pointed to the group of men. You lot, watch the girl! He sprinted towards the explosion with a snarl. How the fuck did they know where we are? I destroyed that bloody ring! How many are there? Potter and Weasley's figures advanced toward the watchmen to head them off, if needed, while Draco and Tonks completed the swap. Draco knelt next to Granger, in what looked like the wet ashes of an extinguished fire. He disarmed a few hastily cast alarm wards. Granger stared at their approximate locations with half-open eyes. She had a split lip, with marks across her face that spoke of blows. Something was wrong with one of her hands, broken or dislocated fingers, Draco thought, from someone violently tearing off the ring. His rage was heady. He controlled it. Tonk sat herself next to Granger. Her disillusion shuddered as she matched Granger's clothing. The watchmen were distracted, only occasionally looking towards their charge as they strained to see what was causing the eruptions at the other side of the field. Draco severed Granger's bonds and replaced them with illusionary lookalikes strapped across Tonks's chest. He disillusioned Granger just as Tonks canceled her own disillusion. Granger was pulled away from the boulder. Tonks slid into her place and tucked a wand against her leg. Just in time, two of the watchmen had turned around to check on the woman that looked like Granger. The real Granger, invisible, was limp in Draco's arms. Draco whispered gravitas penna, he slung her almost weightless body over his shoulder like a granger sack of potatoes to keep his wand arm free. Two watchmen got too close to the boulder for Potter and Weasley. Draco saw their eyes grow unfocused as they were hit by a confundus each. Another watchman said something to them and received no answer but gurgling. "'Oi!' he called to the other. "'What the fuck is wrong with—' he was stunned. "'Go!' came Tonks's sharp whisper. The remaining watchmen shouted in alarm. As instructed by Tonks— Potter and Weasley flanked Draco to accompany Granger out of the fray, drawing as little attention to themselves as possible. Draco felt Potter refresh his notice-me-not charm. They all cast a backwards glance at Tonks, hating to leave her so exposed. The switch had worked. The remaining watchmen took positions next to Tonks Granger. Wands raised, but did not for a moment ponder whether this woman was anything other than the real healer Granger. Another explosion rocked the field. Spells were now whizzing into the sky in the direction of Gogan and Buckley. "'Are we sure none of us should stay with Tonks?' asked Weasley as they walked slowly and carefully amongst the running werewolves. She still got her wand. She'll can free go our arses if we don't do as she says,' said Potter. Draco would certainly not be staying. He had the most precious burden in the world on his shoulder, and his sole objective now was making it out of there undetected. Greyback's sudden death could wait. They were almost run into by a group of werewolves jogging towards the watchmen— Potter and Weasley cast a pulso, knocking them out of the way, then petrified the lot of them. They heard the watchmen shouting orders to look for whoever had stunned and confunded their colleagues at the boulder. "'Shit,' breathed Potter, sending another confundus over his shoulder towards a witch who attempted to investigate her fallen comrades. "'Almost there,' said Weasley. Draco flicked a flippendo at another runner who got too close. "'They were halfway to the ridge.' From there they could see Gogan and Buckley, and thank the gods the newly arrived Humphreys, Montjoy, and Fernsby, and a dozen other oars and DMLE operatives with them, who joined the clash on the western side of the hollow. However, the three oars' trail of petrifications and stuns had been noticed. They could no longer advance freely amongst the chaos. They were being looked for. Bursts of finite incantatum and hominum revelio crisscrossed around them, which was deflected whenever it was possible to dodge. Weasley was hit, disillusioned himself again, and entered into a scrum with four werewolves. Blast! Draco did not like this one bloody bit. Keep going, said Potter. He can take care of himself. We've got to get her out. At the top of the ridge, a line of men now stood. Behind them, a witch was patching the tear in the wards that Draco had made. Something about her face was familiar. Potter's hands found Draco's shoulder. Draco stopped moving. Potter was right— They were too badly outnumbered, and Draco bore too precious a burden to attempt a direct confrontation here. Another Gogan-Buckley explosion detonated. Draco and Potter turned and backed down the ridge, hoping to find a spot further on to open the wards again. They made the mistake of looking backwards towards Tonks. Greyback was beside her, surrounded by a dozen men, and looked to be preparing to rip her off the boulder, and gods only knew what. Affinita and Cantatum flew in their direction. Potter was hit. Draco cast a depulso at Potter, flinging him out of the way of a sizzling curse. He scrambled down the ridge, away from the werewolves that were now converging on Potter. The only advantage to their being so seriously outmanned in this fight was that werewolves couldn't disillusion themselves without risking hitting each other as they circled their enemy. Potter disillusioned himself again, vanished from sight, and got serious. His reducto flung Greyback's men away, with or without all of their limbs." Draco decided that Potter, too, could take care of himself and continued his desperate search for a quiet place at the perimeter of the Anti-Operation Ward, where he could put Granger down and cut his way through. He sent a Patronus toward Gogan and the newly-arrived reinforcements, asking for aid at this end of the field. The Borzoid sprinted away in a silver streak. Granger stirred against his shoulder. "'You're all right,' said Draco. "'I've got you. We're almost out.' "'Wand,' said Granger. Draco was loath to part was his— He spotted a petrified wizard and muttered, Aki a wand. A stout wand flew into Draco's hand. Put me down, said Granger. I can walk. Are you sure? Yes. From what Draco could see under the disillusion, Granger was dazed. He looked towards the boulder where she had been tied. Oh, they've put it out. Of course they had. That would have been too easy, wouldn't it? Put it out? Put what out? Granger fell silent. She was healing herself. Draco saw her disillusioned hand cast spells toward her head her hand, and one of her ankles. "'How many are there?' asked Granger in a weak voice. Three hundred. We have reinforcements coming. We're too few. I'm looking for a spot to get you out the anti-apparition ward. They've wised up. They've put up a perimeter of men along the wards now. We're going to have to fight before we can get you through safely.' "'There are too many of them,' said Granger, looking about with a hopelessness that matched the one in Draco's heart that he hadn't dared acknowledge. Potter and Weasley had teamed up and were causing some rather strong turbulence amongst the werewolves. Further down the ridge, a curse streaked towards Draco and Granger. He threw a Protego to deflect it. The Protego was spotted. The line of wizards at the top of the ridge began a slow walk towards Draco and Granger, crisscrossing the grounds before them with hexes. Below them, a full-scale battle raged as the oars and the DMLE agents attempted to make inroads toward them. They were trapped. Fuck, hissed Draco. I need to make a fire, said Granger. No, you need to get out of here, not make bloody fires. Get out how? How? "'We're surrounded!' Granger's disillusioned form kneeled to the ground. "'Buy me three minutes, and I'll make them regret they were born.' The wizards approaching from above were now far too close, and too numerous for comfort. "'Bloody fucking hell,' said Draco. Three minutes. Also, he was going to make them regret that they were born.' He cast a dense Calais Presidium over Granger, canceled his disillusion to draw enemy towards himself, then got to work. Under the silvery ward, Granger lit her fire. The first three werewolves who approached Draco had their throats torn out. A vortex of conjured knives impaled the next two, and anarchist arrows thudded into the chest of the next. Every wand arm raised towards Granger was met with an immobilis, and if Draco had time, the burst of a detonation to rid the wizard of his troublesome limb. Potter and Weasley were attempting to come towards him, but they were hemmed in by the crowd of werewolves. Curses were hurtled towards Draco, parried, encountered with choking, rupturing, or dismemberment. The first Unforgivable was cast, a killing curse just at his feet. The man responsible was decapitated. Draco was beginning to draw attention to himself. There were too many opponents, and more of them coming. He couldn't use his legitimacy, couldn't cast lengthy turncoat jinxes, couldn't strategize. He only had time to react. A curse reached the Silvery Ward and bounced harmlessly off of it. It should never have reached the Ward. Draco should have deflected it. He felt the beginnings of panic, not for himself, but for her. His casting grew rushed, reckless. This was why some things were forbidden between oars and their principles. Another killing curse flashed towards him. Draco summoned a werewolf to take the hit instead, then flung his attacker off the ridge. Potter and Weasley managed to crash their way through the circle of enemies with a joint reducto that came to Draco's aid. She's doing something with the fire. Lysideratio! Suffocatus! She needs three minutes! We'll give her three minutes, gasped Potter. To pulso! A pair of werewolves sent flying. "'They were replaced by three more. Suffocatus, "'Sindo!' said Draco, whipping a choking curse "'and a throat slicing toward two of them. "'Weasley hit the third with a ball of orange flame. "'What's she going to do with the fire?' "'No idea. "'Expulse us for service. "'I trust it'll be spectacular.' "'A dozen werewolves broke off from the scuffle below "'and began to climb the ridge towards them. "'Too many of them,' said Potter, spotting the group. "'Shave down their numbers before they get too close,' "'panted Weasley to Draco.' Weasley and Potter positioned themselves defensively on either side of Granger's silvery ward. Draco hated to trust them, but with that crowd coming their way, he hadn't a choice. He disillusioned himself and clambered down the ridge. He cast two Bombardas to soften the group up, and then, wand in one hand, knife in the other, he was amongst them. His wand met throats, his knife pressed into eyes and the soft spots under chins. He was disillusioned Whirl, whose passage was marked only by entrails and spurts of blood. Not a single one made it up the ridge. He clambered back to Potter and Weasley. The beginnings of the shakes were on him from imminent magic depletion. One minute, said Potter. Around Potter and Weasley, a small rampart of werewolf bodies had begun to form while Draco had been occupied with his butchery. Below them, Tonks, still disguised as Granger, was holding the attention of Greyback and his retinue. She was dancing about, wreaking havoc with explosions, casting Depulso at the ground to push herself away from them— and leading them on a merry chase around the battlefield. Draco watched her trip backwards and fall, saw with a thrill of fear. Greyback loom over her. Then she planted a combat boot into his groin and scampered away again, dodging spells and cackling. And Draco remembered that she was a Black, as well as a Tonks. Buckley had rejoined Tonks and was acting as a rearguard, putting up a defense of the alleged Granger for all he was worth. Greyback looked up at the ridge. He saw the silvery ward. He pushed his wand to his throat and, in a magically amplified voice, ordered his men to destroy whatever the fuck they were doing under that thing. A fresh wave of attackers came upon the three oars at the top of the ridge. They were in a storm of spells now. The ward was hit repeatedly, but deflected every spell with a metallic ping. Underneath it, Draco could hear Granger gasping out a long incantation. The fire flickered between the polyhedra. The new wave of attackers was fresh and numbered about two dozen. The aura shifted to desperate, back-to-the-wall defense, forming a triangle around Granger. Unable to do more than deflect, they used the bodies of the werewolves to absorb the killing curses that came their way. Potter was hit by something concussive that threw him into a group of werewolves. He cast a bombarda as he landed. The air reeked of burnt flesh. Draco felt a cutting curse split his neck. He fell to his knees next to the ward, clutching at his throat. Then felt the cult seal as quickly as it had opened. Granger. Five approaching werewolves vanished from existence before his eyes. There were five worms on the ground where they had stood. Draco stamped on them. He felt the shakiness of magical exhaustion threaten him, casting as he flung a depulso at another werewolf. A large, glowing rune emerged from within the ward and floated towards a line of werewolves approaching from above. Draco heard a word of command. The rune dissolved into a fine golden mist. Greyback's men blinked at each other amongst the mist, then rushed to Potter's aid. Inverted ethics. Tonks Granger was doing too well against Greyback below them. He was a brutal duelist that few could go toe-to-toe with, certainly not a healer who had last seen active combat fifteen years ago. Greyback parrying spells, his face a bloody mess, looked up towards the Silver Ward, at Draco and Potter and Weasley positioned around it, and finally came to realize that the Granger he was chasing, who was meeting every one of his curses with her own, was not Granger. He whipped a killing curse towards Tonks, who dodged it. That's not the fucking healer! Finish her! Then, with a rage-filled yell, he scrambled up the ridge towards them. The silver ward around Granger was beginning to flicker. Draco told Weasley to cover him, and panting, prepared to cast the exhausting thing again. Weasley was assailed by three curses at once. He deflected two. The third hit. He went down. There were too many of them. Granger's disillusioned figure was now bent over Weasley. Draco heard a healing incantation. He turned to shout at her to return to the safety of the ward, but the ward had blinked out its last. Now, where the ward had stood, there was a fire. What was special about this damned fire? Draco could not say. A circle of runes glowed at its base. Draco knew just enough runic to read the protection magics there. Inextinguishable. He needed to cast the ward over Granger again. It was the only reason she hadn't yet got hit by a Finite and been discovered. There were too many of them. He needed time. Potter said, "'Look out!' and cast a Protego towards Draco. It deflected a curse, but another followed it. Potter was hit. There were too many of them. A hex flung Draco's wand from his hand. Another curse flew straight towards Granger, where she knelt over Weasley. Draco was too far to knock her out of the way. He had no wand. He had no choice. There was no choice to make. He stepped directly into it. He heard her gasped, "'No!' Now he lay, a paralyzing curse upon his limbs, blood dripping from his mouth, in a living nightmare, as Greyback, limping and bleeding, ascended the ridge. The handful of werewolves, still under the influence of the Inverted Ethics rune, launched themselves at him. He pulled back in surprise, then fought them off with the help of the men behind him. "'Keep the ones down there busy,' he barked, gesturing towards the field. "'I'm going to finish this. Where's the bloody girl? I know she's up here with these arseholes.' Draco, Potter, and Weasley might ordinarily have merited a curse while they were down, but they held no interest for Greyback in light of Granger. An explosion of Finite and Cantatum churned the ground around them. Granger was revealed, clutching at a wand with a shaking hand. She had just finished casting something directly at Greyback. The side sweep of her arm looked like she had activated a tracking spell. She, too, was spent. She collapsed onto her knees. The wand fell out of her hand. There was a stillness over the group as everyone waited for something to happen. It was going to be good. Draco, paralyzed, powerless, knew it was going to be good. It would be an enormous explosion, a mass transfiguration. Summon bloody Voldemort. Open the gates of hell. Anything. Anything. The fire burned behind Granger crackled merrily, innocuously, as though it was the byproduct of a random confrigo on the battlefield and not the most dearly bought fire that had ever been lit. The werewolves looked at one another. Nothing happened. One by one, the werewolves began to laugh. "'That's it?' asked Greyback, his long, yellow teeth bared in delight. "'That's what the great Granger did. So brainy, she made a fire.' There was more laughter. Greyback slashed his wand at the fire to extinguish it. Someone else cast Aguamenti. The fire crackled on. Below, Greyback, the sound of a skirmish made their way up the hill." Draco heard Tonks's voice, and Gogan's, and Buckley's. Faster Tonks, for the love of gods! More of Greyback's men attempted to douse the fire, to no effect. Greyback spat at it. Leave it! He turned to Granger. When this is all over, little girl, and I've taken care of your friends down there, I'm going to roast what remains of you on your little fire and eat you. More shouts floated up from below. Greyback looked over his shoulder, then began to circle Granger. We'll have less time together than I wanted, but I'm going to enjoy every one of your screams. He leveled his wand at her. Draco knew that stance. There was a Crucio coming. Granger, blood smeared, shaking from her magical depletion, stared him down. She was not afraid. Her scorn was magnificent. Before Greyback could cast anything, there was a shudder of magic. The fire behind Granger turned green. A specific kind of green. A flue kind of green. Granger smiled. Now there was a swishing sound. The werewolf scrambled anew to put out the fire. But it was being fed at the other end now. And it doubled. Then tripled. Then quintupled in size. Figure after black-clad figure whipped out of the fire and spun upwards. Dozens and dozens of them on brooms, cackling shrilly. Granger's smile grew dangerous, self-satisfied. The kind of Nundu might smile just before it decimated an entire village. Shrieks of wild laughter filled the air. The nuns had arrived. Chapter 34. Du es Machina The sky turned black with the whirl of black robes. "'What the fuck?' asked a werewolf. "'Who is that?' asked another. "'Nuns?' said the first. "'Are you bloody joking?' said Greyback. The werewolves looked up in confusion. Then they began to laugh. Again. The nuns moved through the air together with a collaborative fluidity that could have been a warning to Greyback, if he hadn't been so busy howling the laughter. A few werewolves sent up spells. They were met with ruthless counter-curses that left the casters disfigured upon the ground, missing the majority of their faces. There was a bit of a shock, a bit of cognitive dissonance to wrestle with. Some of the werewolves began to shout and regroup. Greyback was still gasping with mockery. The nuns lined themselves above them, and, wands pointed down, group cast some sort of area-effect petrificus totalis that froze everyone where they stood. Draco felt his limbs stiffen beyond the curse. Granger grew unnaturally still. Greyback's laugh was frozen upon his bloodied face. Silence fell. A small, white-haired nun who flew above the rest cast a detection spell at the field. Greyback was illuminated in red. The nun tutted in silence. With a swish of her wand, Greyback's rigid body was floated into the center of the field and dropped with a crunch into the blood and muck near the boulder. "'Clear the innocents,' said in French, waving her hand. There was imperiousness in the gesture. She was used to command. She was the prioress. A contingent of nuns flew down and levitated the figures out of the battlefield. From the insignia upon their cloaks, it was the oars and the DMLE operatives. Draco saw Tonks Granger, Buckley— and Gogan's stiff forms lifted out. Then he was, himself, levitated, jostling against Granger, Potter, and Weasley. They were deposited at the very top of the ridge. When the innocents had been cleared, and only Greyback's men remained on the field, the prioress flew higher. "'Shall we have a summoning?' she asked. The nuns, cackling anew, whirled over the battlefield upon their brooms. Threads of violet magic glowed between them until they formed a floating pentagram." The prioress raised her wand, as did her sisters. They began a low chant in Latin. Shocks of occult magic coursed through the air. Dark. Forbidden. Dangerous. A shape ossified into existence where the currents of magic concentrated at the center of the field. It was a grinning goat's skull, silent and inert. Who will be the sacrificial lamb? Asked the prioress. A nun floated a bloody-faced wizard up, one of the ones who had begun the attack on the nuns. I have a sinner. The sinner was levitated towards the goat skull. His screams, muffled by his petrified tongue and clamped jaw, echoed across the silent field. The nun flew above him and brought him in close until his forehead pressed into the back of the skull. There was a flash of red light. The man slackened. Now he looked grotesque, a hanging puppet with an oversized horned head. The nun resumed her place in the airborne pantagram. The skull trembled, then shuddered, then shook. Its eye sockets, which had been shrouded in shadow, were lit by two red flames. The man's body elongated and ripped. From within him, a form twisted and birthed itself into existence, a being of fiend fire and darkness, rending the fabric between worlds. Granger had opened the gates of hell. As it tore its way into existence, the thing vomited a sound out of the goat's skull that was half unholy laughter, half pain. It was suffering but there was a hideous anticipation in it. Limbs took shape. The thing was tall. The skull hung at the end of a long neck, stringy wings, black and dripping with abominable afterbirth, unfurled. Two cloven hooves reached the earth and made unhallowed ground of that place. There were no light of conscience in the thing's flaming eyes, only a terrible thirst for death. The nuns, breaking into shrieking laughter, released their paralysis spell within the confines of the pentagram. It was not to give the werewolves a chance. It was for sport. The demon's soul-blighting laughter joined that of the nuns. Hell in its eyes. It launched itself at the werewolves. Half of them tried to run. Half launched spells. A curling talon swiped at five of them and left corpses in its wake. Liquid fire was disgorged and burnt a dozen where they stood. The searing blow of a wing left a group of men standing without their fronts. No faces, no skin, only guts and bone. They fell with a wet sound. Those trying to run found themselves hemmed in by the pentagram, repelled and cast back towards the demon's cloven hooves. There was the crunch of skulls being crushed and hoarse, unearthly cackle from the creature. Ten killing curses flashed green and hit the demon at the same time. They did nothing. The thing wasn't alive. It was the prince of some underworld, and they were merely stoking its fire. The spellcasters were gutted. The nuns held the pentagram. The demon dared not or could not go beyond. But it did not matter. It found its pleasure within those ungodly confines. Its rampage was sickening, hideous, perfect. The screams and its laughter mingled in a ghastly chorus. The shrieks lessened and lessened as the demon made its way through its feast. Now there was only the sound of its terrible pleasure and the shatter of bone. It saved Greyback for last. Greyback fled from one end of the pentagram to the other, desperately hammering at it with its curses. The nuns laughed. He aimed killing curses towards them. They dodged and laughed even more. The demon caught sight of its final victim. The goat skull tilted. A plume of flame emerged from black nostrils. Greyback was panicking, scrambling. He pushed his way into the pentagram and was repelled backwards. He landed by the demon's feet. It planted one cloven hoof into the center of Greyback's chest. Draco had the vast pleasure of watching Greyback torn limb from limb and eaten. The massacre was complete. There had been two hundred of Greyback's men in the pentagram. Now nothing within it moved, save for the demon. The air was fetid in brimstone and sulfur and heat-curdled blood. The nuns began another chant in voices high and pure. The Lord's Prayer. As the prayer went on, the nuns drew forwards on their brooms. The pentagram shrank. A heavenly halo glowed now above each nun's head. Their crucifixes floated off of their necks, shone with a pious light. The demon hissed and spat plumes as hellfire of the bounds of the pentagram came in towards it. The field shook with its discordant, infernal screams as it was forced inwards, and inwards again, until it had curled itself into a shadowy ball. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. All that remained of the demon was the goat's skull. Then it, too, disappeared in a flash of red. The holy oars surrounding the nuns faded. They broke the pentagram and began a leisurely flyover of the battlefield, cursing any member of Greyback's pack that still twitched. The Prioress flew over Draco and Granger. Her wand raised. She eyed his oar insignia and Granger's lab coat and moved on. Draco, petrified of her in both the physical and metaphorical sense, had never been happier to be irrelevant. The nuns were satisfied with their absolute victory. They continued a driving rain. "'something of a holy water, something of a Genesis flood, "'that quenched the fires left behind by the demon "'and washed that unhallowed ground clean. "'They released their paralysis over the remainder of the battlefield. "'As witches and wizards began to sit up with gasps and groans, "'one of the nuns threw an entire tin of flue powder at Granger's fire. "'It flared green. "'The nuns flew into the flames and were gone. "'The aftermath of the battle was a mess of muck and blood and confusion,' The anti-apparition ward fell. Someone summoned Mediwitches, who apparated across the field and distributed potions and healings to those who needed it the most. A pair of them worked on Draco and Granger until they were satisfied that they were stable. They moved on to Potter and Weasley, both of whom were groaning enough to confirm that they were alive and well. Draco and Granger looked at each other, filthy, cut up, bruised and battered. Across Granger's face was a wide spray of blood. Droplets of it decorated her cheeks in a fine mist— "'running down in rivulets now as the rain washed it away. "'Draco felt the wet on his face "'and knew that he was similarly adorned, "'some his, some that of others. "'They sat up and reached for each other's hands, "'face, shoulders, blurting out as many a flurry of questions. "'Are you hurt? Bloody hell, did they get you? "'Are you all right? Can you stand? "'Are you sure you're all right? "'I saw you get hit. Can you walk? "'Oh, thank God. You're all right. You're okay. "'You almost got killed, you stupid, bloody idiot!' found their feet. He held her dear, bruised-up face in his hands, and she held his in hers. He kissed her, softly under the downpour, softly against her split lip, softly amongst tears and rain and blood. She slid her arms around his neck and rose upon her tiptoes and kissed him back. Draco knew happiness then. Happiness was her, alive, her tear-filled eyes spilling over, her heartbeat thudding against his chest. It was knowing that her greatest threat was dead and gone. It was the beauty of days ahead that he hardly dared imagine. It was the feel of fingers in his hair. It was the shudder of her half-crying, half-laughing. It was her whisper of, "'You absolute idiot!' against his mouth. She pushed her face into his chest and gasped out sobs of relief and joy. There was movement around them. Potter and Weasley were on their feet, Tonks, looking like herself again, limping towards them, as did Gogan and Buckley. As he held Granger to his heart, Draco, frankly, did not give a single solitary fuck about the opinions of his colleagues. He only cared about her, about this, this exquisite catastrophe, this beautiful, stupid disaster. There were gasps, then grins, then Weasley chortled and said, steady on, mate, and Potter burst into wild laughter and said, I told you, I bloody told you. Granger hid her face in Draco's cloak, "'shaking with something that verged on hysterical giggling. "'Tonks, one eye swelled shut, put a fist on her hip, "'observed them with pursed lips. "'I suppose this is what the word was going to be about?' "'Yes,' said Draco. "'I'm, er, no longer able to be objective. "'Funnily, I had worked that out just now "'when I watched you walk into a curse for her,' said Tonks. "'You're off the Granger assignment, Malfoy.' "'Brilliant,' said Draco, a wide smile upon his face.' Tonks shook her head, but there was a smile on her face, too. "'Sorry to interrupt the lovemaking, but can someone please explain the fucking nuns?' asked Gogan with a gesture to the sky. All eyes were now on Granger. "'Hey, um, owed me a favor,' said Granger. "'A favor?' said Potter, looking at her in wonder. "'You properly called in the cavalry, Hermione.' "'I'm inspired,' said Tonks. "'I think that demon would make a fine or—' The group wandered the muddy battlefield, variously looking for colleagues, or wands, or, in the case of Draco, bits of family jewelry. Draco's wand was located near Granger's fire. Granger was in a gooey pile of what looked suspiciously like demon-chewed human flesh near the boulder. She plucked it out with a grimace. I believe that this is all that remains of Fenrir Greyback. Draco pointed his wand at the pile of charred mints and said, "Accio Malfoy Ring. A deformed piece of silver whizzed towards him not from the pile, but from a spot a few meters away. Granger winced. Oh, no. He ripped it off me and smashed it to bits as soon as he saw me turn it. It's fixable, said Draco, pocketing the damage. Everything is. She looked at him with a swift smile. Everything is. Shall we go home? Yes, please. Let's. At the manor, they showered and found one another in the small salon at the back of the house. Granger came down in her most appalling pajamas, Henriette and Tupi were given a redacted version of the day's events, so that they would not grow hysterical. Opamum was brewed to palliate the shock and soften the day's emotional toil. Granger explained her kidnap, such as it was. Someone tampered with the flu at the lab. What? Yes, I know. It was meant to only have two connections, the lab and the manor. I stepped into it to come here, and I promise you I said Malfoy Manor. And the next thing I knew, I was spinning out onto a field. And that monster was in front of me, and they disarmed me the moment I landed. Greyback saw me twist the ring and tore it off me. I thought he was going to rip my fingers off. He was so rough. He knocked me out for trying to call for help. Absolute ulcer of a man. And, of course, Fernsby hadn't followed me into the flu. I was coming straight here. He had no reason to. Draco paced. Who tampered with the fucking flu? I'm going to—I'm not even going to use my wand. I will strangle them with my bare hands. And the bloody nuns? Granger, who was curled on the sofa with her arms wrapped around her legs, tucked her face into her knees and laughed. I still can't believe that worked. How? After having seen a bit of what they were capable of at the monastery, when I returned the skull, I thought it might be useful to, um, harness the nuns for our benefit, if I could. Of course you did. When I sent the skull back, I pretended to be a collector who had bought it off a gang of thieves. I told the good sisters that I was returning it to them because it was sentient, and it deserved to be in its own home. It seemed wrong to keep it. I said if they wanted vengeance on the gang, I could help them. I told them what tracking spell to look out for, that I'd activate it when the moment was right for them to exert their revenge. Granger swallowed. I didn't expect them to exert it so thoroughly. Anyway, I've been practicing that bloody flu spell for weeks and weeks, finally got it down to three minutes. It's as difficult as Portis, possibly even worse. I hate it and will never cast it again. The flu specialist that came to my laboratory gave me a decent tutorial, and I studied the rest. I knew the nuns wouldn't be able to apparate across the channel, but if I had a flu connection open wherever I was, then I activated the tracking spell, then we'd have a chance. Draco was too gobsmacked to make any sort of articulate commentary. He merely said, Fucking hell, Granger. I rubbed his palm against his forehead. I know, said Granger. I may be the more ghoulish of the opportunists between us. He stared at her. She laughed into her knees again. But speaking of tracking, how did you find me? she asked. When Greyback destroyed the ring, I was convinced that I was done for. There was simply no way you'd have had time to even attempt an apparition to me. Your hairpins, said Draco. My hairpins? blinked Granger. Draco made a general gesture towards her hair. They're everywhere, and you always have them on you. I've been doing it since our first meeting. They've come in handy a time or two. Granger pulled a hairpin out of her curls and cast a revelation spell. It glowed green. Of course, continued Draco, next to Miss Flew, the fucking nuns in. It feels rather uninspired now. I think it's brilliant, said Granger, smiling at the hairpin. The simplest ideas often are. Right. This explains Uffington. Yes. You're a wily one. So are you. Henriette popped into existence. Pardonnez-moi, monsieur, mademoiselle... Madame Tonks is flewing. She would like to come in, if this is a convenient moment. She has a mademoiselle brimble with her? Send them in, said Draco. A moment later, Tonks' voice echoed down the corridor as she queried Henriette. Not interrupting, are we? They aren't up to anything but of slap and tickle? Uh, non, madame. Granger was pink in the cheeks. Tonks burst into the room with a ridiculous amount of vigor, considering what they had just gone through a few hours ago. Hermione, that is an outfit, she said, spotting Granger's pajamas. Small wonder Draco couldn't keep his hands off you. Granger grew even pinker. Tonks! What? Is it not true? Brimble followed meekly behind Tonks, clutching at a stack of parchment. It distracted Tonks from the pajamas. Right. Brimble's got news. Tell us what you found out so that we can properly be outraged together. Henriette cracked into existence again. So sorry. Monsieur Potter and Weasley are at the flue, and they... Messrs. Potter and Weasley had not waited to be invited in. Their footsteps of shouts of, "'Hermione! Malfoy! Where are you?' echoed through the manor, until Tonk stuck her head out of the salon and waved them in. Draco's vision of a quiet evening of rest and recuperation, and snogging Granger, was fast fading. Henriette served opumum to the newcomers as they settled into sofas. Brimble briefed them on her findings. In the end, the Auror office really had done all it could have— Granger had been betrayed by two relative unknowns who would have been difficult to preempt. First bit of news. There's been an arrest, said Brimble. A Mr. Terrace just turned himself in. Flu technician from the Department of Magical Transportation. Says he's the one responsible for tampering with the hearth in Healer Granger's laboratory. Greyback kidnapped his wife and children yesterday and gave him twelve hours to do it, or they died. No, gasped Granger. The family is fine. They were found bound and gagged, but otherwise unharmed. Mr. Terrace is cooperating. It sounds as though he was quite repentant, actually. Rather a lot of crying. Granger looked at Draco. No strangling. Yes, strangling, said Draco, who did not find this to be an adequate excuse for what the man had done. Tonks observed them with pursed lips. Kindly discuss your bedroom plans at another time. Brimble is talking. Granger blushed. Weasley guffawed. One of the potter's eyes twitched. As for my second bit of news, said Brimble, taking out a long scroll of parchment, this is a list of the dead. The ones whose remains we could identify, anyway. She held up the list. A name was circled on it. A Miss Clotilde Fiddlewood. Who? said Granger. What? said Potter. No, said Weasley. Shacklebolt's assistant, said Tonks, her lips pressed into an unhappy line. That old cacklebag, said Draco. That had been the witch who had looked familiar on the field, the one who had been patching the ward, barring their escape. Brimble nodded. We can't interrogate her, obviously, but we are speculating that she may have overheard bits of Healer Granger's very first conversation with the minister, the one that triggered his protection request. Getting word to Greyback would have taken her months. He was deep in hiding at that time. We'll be investigating what we can, and we may never know for certain, but she was one of the few individuals who could have known anything, and, of course, to find her running with Greyback's pack afterwards is rather damning evidence. They sat in silence. Granger looked shocked. Draco shook his head. Then, in the quiet, Potter said, Greyback is dead. Saying it made it real. Granger's hands found her cheeks. Greyback is dead. Greyback is fucking dead, repeated Draco and Tonks. The arsehole is dead, said Weasley. They touched their cups of opamum together. Right, said Weasley after downing his. He clapped his hands together. What's a bloke gotta do to get a real drink around here? They decided to make a proper party of it. Patronuses and Jots were sent out. Soon the salon was filled with family and friends, Lupin and the kids, Potter's wife and tots, Luna Lovegood drifting dreamily about, Granger's colleagues and star students, Shacklebolt enduring much piss-taking on his choice of assistant, Orr's and their families, a host of healers. Word of the victory and party got out, and more people began to pour in, many in sleepwear because of the late hour. Longbottom and Pansy, Zabini and Patel, the entire Weasley clan, God's help Draco, Macmillan and the other ministry colleagues, and finally Theo in a set of ridiculously sheer men's pajamas. Henriette, Toopy, and the kitchen elves were delighted to assist in the merrymaking. Toopy plied Weasley in particular with the hardest stuff in the cellars. At some point during the festivities, Potter and Weasley waylaid Draco as he was making his way towards Granger. Draco found himself pressed into a corner by his favorite colleagues. They were all properly sloshed. What? said Draco. I knew it! I knew you were up to something, said Potter, leaning in so close that his boozy breath wafted up Draco's nose. I saw how you looked at her. Draco pushed him away. Back off, you specky fucker. What are your intentions with Hermione? My intentions? If we return to the Victorian era, are you her father? Answer the qu question, Malfoy, said Weasley, with what was presumably meant to be a threatening loom. It ended up less than intimidating as he finished the movement by resting his head on Draco's shoulder. "'I haven't any intention,' said Draco. "'Get off me!' He held Weasley at arm's length. "'You smell good,' said Weasley. "'He smells good,' he repeated to Potter. "'Does he?' Potter came in for a whiff. "'Get away,' said Draco, now holding Potter at arm's length, too. "'Did you do something to her?' asked Weasley. One eye narrowed in suspicion. The other was closed and taking a nap.' Douse her with the love potion? Of bloody course not, women fall for me all the time. I know that's a novel concept for you. What about you? asked Potter. Are you in love with her? I—that's none of your business. Why don't you ask her if she dosed me? Because she's not a scoundrel like you, said Potter. A misc—a miscreant, said Weasley. Draco attempted to say tisk, but all he could hammer out at that came out was a raspberry. You're both under the delusion that she's a perfect angel, but she's ten times the scoundrel I am. That's why I... You what? asked Potter. Like her. You like her. Yes. You're her orer, you know, said Potter, aiming a vague finger at Draco's direction. That is unprofessional. Not allowed. Unprof... unprof... unprofessional, repeated Weasley. Was her orer, And I never... Mm. We didn't cross the line. Mm. If we did, it didn't really happen. Potter blinked unfocused eyes. Did it or didn't it happen? Dreams. By a window ledge. Fantasies. In Spain. Nothing was real. It was Sam Hain, you know. We got drunk on fire. Genuinely, you have to admire the Spanish. They know how to make a drink. Or was it the Celts? Anyway, it was all fantasies. Gorgeous fantasies. "'Stop talking to us about your fantasies,' said Weasley, looking alarmed. "'They are excellent, though.' "'Right. My favorite one is when she—' "'No,' said Potter, pressing his hand to Draco's mouth. "'Do not!' Draco beat his hand away. "'Why are your fingers sticky?' Potter looked at his fingers with intense focus. Mm, "'Treacle tart,' he declared with a firm nod. "'There isn't any treacle tart.' "'Weasley, endeavoring to be helpful,' poured his fire whiskey on Potter's hand and all over Draco's shoes. "'Thank you,' said Potter gravely to Weasley as he wiped his hands on his robe. "'You are a true friend. You idiot! Now my toes are moist,' spat Draco. "'Unlike Malfoy, who is a tosser. Listen, Malfoy, if you do anything to yurt her—' "'Yurt her? Hurt her. We will yurter you. Murder you. Kill you in cold blood,' said Weasley. "'Set fire to your house.' Liberate your elves! I would never do anything to yurt her, said Draco in a rare, drunken, plunge into genuine honesty. Wouldn't you? No. She's... I... Right. It's none of your fucking business, as I've just said. Weasley grasped Draco's collar and with a kind of plaintive desperation said, You promise you'd never do anything to hurt her? Yes. Weasley pressed his forehead to Draco's and stared into his eyes. I think he's telling the truth. "'Stop that. Get off me. You're not a legilimens.' "'Do we give him our blessing?' asked Potter, frowning into space. "'I don't need your fucking blessing,' said Draco. "'It would matter to Hermione,' said Weasley. "'She doesn't need it either,' said Draco. "'Tell him that we'll kill him if he hurts her,' said Potter. "'We already did,' said Weasley. "'I think.' "'Right.' "'Do you think we should just kill him now?' asked Weasley. "'Preemptively?' asked Potter. "'Yeah.' I reckon that'd be the proper proactive of us. I like it. Draco pushed Weasley away. For fucks? St- stop breathing on me, Weasley. Ugh. Why are you so moist? Why is everything moist and sticky? Get away. Right. I would never hurt her. She's genuinely important to me. I care about her. A lot. Too much, really. To an idiotic degree. I wish I didn't. But I do. And it's... Anyway, this is not a conversation I wish to have with you slobbering imbeciles. You can kill me if I hurt her, but I won't. I would never. She'll be the one hurting me, if anything. That's my fear. My fucking Boggart. All right? Have we finished here? Potter and Weasley narrowed their eyes, but it was unclear whether they were processing Draco's diatribe or merely falling asleep. I think he's all right, said Weasley. Potter nodded and said, I'm satisfied. Oh, said Draco, are you? Good. Now bugger off. I need to change my shoes, because you are literally incapable of holding a glass upright. Toopie, fresh shoes and socks, please. Weasley had an accident. They rejoined the party, got even more drunk, and pissed away the night in high spirits. Draco had fallen asleep on one of the sofas. He awoke at dawn with a stiff neck and a throbbing headache. He rose and stepped over bodies in various states of consciousness. Granger was nowhere to be found. Henriette was making her way through the salon, placing a croissant and a hangover potion beside every snoring guest. Where's Mademoiselle? asked Draco. I believe she went to take some air, Monsieur, said Henriette. Shall I call her? No, no, I'll find her. Draco downed one of the hangover potions. Then he stood at the window and sighed a melodramatic sigh. Is everything all right? asked Henriette. Draco pressed his forehead to the cold window. No, Henriette approached. What is the matter? Henriette? We— Je suis, je suis un soleil. Ah, je l'aime de tout mon cœur, de tout mon net. Henriette put down her plate of croissants and wrung her hands. Don't be happy yet, said Draco. No? No, I haven't told her, but I am going to tell her. I am off to bear my soul, Henriette. Henriette watched him go with tears in her eyes and her hands clasped to her chest. Bon courage, monsieur, she said in a whisper. The December dawn brightened the eastern sky. Draco found Granger amongst silver birch and rising mist, walking a slow walk through the trees. It was cold. She looked pale and tired as she stepped along the path. She had wrapped herself in a sort of shawl that looked suspiciously like one of Draco's handkerchiefs, transfigured. Her hair was only half-pinned and tumbled down her back. She spotted him in the distance. She paused and watched him come to her amidst the frozen gorse and fence-edge. Everything about her seemed distinct and sharp, uncannily, so breath misting from between parted lips, fingers gripping the shawl, dark lashes around her bright eyes. You're awake, early, she said with a kind of soft surprise. when Draco continued to stare at her like a love-struck Cretan. she asked, Are you all right? Is something the matter? He was taken by a kind of fool's courage, an idiot's courage. It was true courage for all of that. After this, things would never be the same. Yes, something is the matter, said Draco. Oh? Something is very the matter. I need to—I need to tell you something. It's stupid and probably a bad decision, but it feels like it's going to kill me if I don't, so— Granger was regarding him with curiosity, with well, something serious. With her puzzle-solving look, she pulled the shawl more closely around herself. While well, he was going to solve the bloody puzzle for her, right now. I don't want to maintain the equilibrium, said Draco. I don't want to quash more. The— Equilibrium? repeated Granger. Quash? The, the back and forth. The not daring to do more. The not crossing the line. The blaming of booze for my lapses. The pretending I don't care for you. That I wouldn't die for you. I suppose that ship has already sailed, anyway. The denying. Suppressing. Slowly suffocating my heart. All of that. Draco took a moment to compose himself. Not composed at all, he continued. You're fucking brilliant and beautiful beyond Anything. It's actually quite unfair that one person should have all of those attributes. I want to be more than your or. I want you to be more than my principal or healer or any of your many and diverse titles. I've fallen for you despite what I've been. I swear to you, a most sincere railing against. I know it was wrong, inappropriate, contravened all the protocols, all the rot. I did everything a man could do to quash those feelings. But I failed. You are too much. I couldn't withstand you. You found fissures in my defense, and you tore them into bloody great wrens. And then you came to live in my heart, like some sort of light in a dark place. And the worst part is, I know you didn't do it on purpose. I know you didn't ask for it. I know you were just being you, your stupid, brilliant, do-gooding self. But you are, as it turns out, everything I want. He dared to look at her. There were tears in her eyes. Right, now I've bloody made you cry. Brilliant. Me? "'asked Granger in a shaky voice. "'I'm the one finding fissures. "'I couldn't withstand you. "'What?' "'Granger took a breath. "'I keep trying to control it, but it's stronger than me. "'I don't want it. I didn't want it. "'I don't know what I want. "'Yes, I do. "'I want one sodding night without thinking about you. "'I want to be in the same room as you "'without feeling that I'll die if I don't touch you. "'If I do touch you, "'I want my head to be in my own again. "'I want my heart. "'But you're in them both, you idiot.' "'You're driving me round the bend.' "'She brushed away a tear. "'I just want to know. "'A bloody moment of peace without you in my brain. "'But that is apparently too much to ask for. "'What about me? "'I can't—I can't cast the thought of you from my mind. "'You—your smile? "'You doing arithmetic? "'Bloody Spain! "'Do you know what my amortentia smells like? "'Do you know how much you haunt my nights? "'I hate this,' sniffed Granger. "'It's rubbish. "'I hate not—not not being in control.' I shouldn't have any sorts of feelings for you. This is your fault. My fault? Why did you have to be so. so what? Granger threw her hands into the air. So everything! You were meant to be an arrogant, moderately competent orer. You weren't meant to be funny and endearing and heroic and gentlemanly when it mattered. You weren't meant to. to literally charm my knickers off and worse still, worm your way into my heart. Speak for yourself, said Draco, outraged. You're the wormy one. You weren't meant to be an insufferable swat with those presents I can't stand. Not someone whose company, laughter, kisses, everything I ended up craving like a bewitched, lovesick fool. Do you know how many bloody dates I went on to push you out of my head? I went on a date with that stupid gardener. What? You set me up. Gods. How could I be in love with you? You're Draco Malfoy. And me? I'm in love with Hermione Granger. Head over fucking heels. "'I don't do love. I can't even say the word. "'It feels horrid in my mouth.' "'I should never have accepted this arrangement,' "'said Granger, addressing the sky. "'I should have insisted someone else, "'the moment I saw your stupid name on that stupid letter "'telling me that I had been assigned to you.' "'I tried,' said Draco. "'I was told not to have a complex about Granger. "'Well, here we are. "'A complex? And now I have one. "'Yes, a complex, a great bloody complex about Granger, "'beyond their wildest expectations.' I don't want your complex. Well, you have it, and far more besides. Silence fell. Granger wiped away a tear. Draco took a step closer to her. Their hands reached for one another. I feel as though I've given you a part of me that you could break, said Granger. Please don't break it. I shan't break it. I would never. Potter and Weasley have informed me that they will kill me if I hurt you. Not that their threats count for anything. And you have a part of me. I'm sick over it. You'd better not break it. I would never, and why must you be so beautiful, even when you're crying? How do you make looking like a hungover vampire so alluring? I'm going to snog the living daylights out of you. Her smile broke through the tears, a flash of sun. She was happiness aglow in his veins. She had his little black heart in its entirety. He closed the distance between them. He held her face in his hands, their breath misted together in the cold air. The sun rose in earnest, and it brightened the snow and greened the grass, and wreathed them in light. He kissed her, and it was the sweetest, most searing, most wondrous thing to finally be able to do so, without interruption, without excuses, without breaking away. To do it knowing that his torment was shared, and had therefore become something else, a relief, a thundering joy. He had a part of her, and she had a part of him, and it was going to be—it was going to be something beautiful. Could there be anything sweeter— Could there be any more bliss than this? Chapter 35 Dynamic Fluid Exchanges A Practical Model The innocence of the kiss turned to something heavier as Draco made good on his promise to snog the living daylights out of Granger. She ran her fingers through his hair. He backed her into a tree. She had his collar in her fist and was using that as leverage to either pull him in closer or pull herself up higher with the pleasurable result of tongue-on-tongue. Draco felt the lack of the ring. He had grown accustomed to the thing, keeping him apprised of Granger's heart rate. He solved the problem by finding pulse points along her throat, with his mouth, which gave him a much more immediate and tactile accounting of her feelings. Her eyes were closed, her hair caught in birch bark, her pulse was a delicate, harried flutter against his lips. He could have taken her right there, against the tree, but she was Granger, and all that was good and wonderful in the world, and she deserved better. Now one of her legs was around him, He hoisted her up higher, one hand on her arse, and pressed himself against her. "'I think I should like to—perhaps—go back inside,' gasped Granger, with a kind of questioning, as though he would say anything but yes, God's yes. "'I want you,' said Draco into her mouth, in all senses of the term. "'All of them. Well, shall we? Shall we begin with one?' "'Yes, the lowest common denominator,' said Draco. He pushed his cock into her harder, in case he was meaning— was not resoundingly clear. Will you accompany me to my rooms? Don't you mean your chambers? asked Granger in a breathy drawl. Draco took her hand and began to pull her towards the manor. Don't be cheeky or I shall make you regret it. Granger smiled at him. He stopped to kiss her hard. They stumbled back to the manor, hand in hand. They crept upstairs through the back stairway near the kitchens, like naughty teenagers, to avoid being seen by their multitude of guests. Upstairs, Granger looked about Draco's rooms curiously passing through the sitting room, the dressing room, peeking into the bathroom, and finally coming to the bedroom. "'What are you smiling about?' asked Granger, looking at Draco over her shoulder. "'He was smiling. Oh?' Draco closed the door behind him and flung up a few wards. "'It is delightful to finally have you here in person.' "'Have I been here in other states?' asked Granger, running her hand up the bedpost, which shouldn't have been as provocative as it was. Draco laid himself on the bed. "'Many. Dream versions of you. Terribly naughty fantasy versions of you. You must tell me about the latter.' Draco wanted to follow up with something clever and sexy, but Granger chose that moment to shed her shawl and expose her hideous pajamas. Gods," said Draco, instead of the clever and sexy thing. "'Whatever is the matter?' asked Granger. "'Don't you like these? Am I curdling your jizz?' "'You are a vision,' said Draco.' "'Granger ran a seductive hand down her tartan-lined hip. "'Aren't I? Take me, I'm yours.' "'You mustn't say things like that unless you mean them.' "'I do mean them.' "'Well, then,' said Draco, "'come here. I must divest you of those things before we go any further.' "'Granger clambered onto the bed. "'I thought they added a bit of Scottish panache. "'The Scots have no panache. Don't put those words together.' "'They've got loads of panache.' I am going to buy you so many inappropriate muggly negligee things that you will have a new one to wear every night. He began to undo her buttons. Likewise, said Granger, observing his progress. Theo's pajamas inspired me. We can find you something even better. Something with a... A penis hatch. A penis hatch? Yes, for ease of accessibility. A little opening. Little? I'm sorry. A gaping opening. A veritable chasm. Oh. Granger's soliloquy on penis flaps was cut off because Draco had freed her breast from the hideous pajamas and now had his mouth upon them. She lay next to him and ran her hand upon his front and opened his fly, and with any witticisms Draco had been ready to launch vanished, except for Stroke Me Like a Bedpost, which did not seem strong enough to share with the class. But that was fine. He did not need to share anything with the class.' His face was in Granger's tits, and his mouth was occupied with the nipple, and his brain power was reduced to zero, as all of his blood was currently in his cock, which was enjoying the sensation of Granger's hand, slipped into his trousers, caressing it and squeezing gently at his balls. "'As it turns out,' said Draco, "'the Malfoy attractant formula is simply you.' "'Yes,' breathed Granger. "'You feel as though you're ready to do a... a penetration test.' She squeaked out a laugh and fell off the bed. Draco pulled her back up. Really? He put her hand back on his cock. As you were, Granger. See, breathed Granger as she slipped her hand back into his trousers. This is why we need a penis hatch. I'm going to get a bloody cramp. We both ought to divest ourselves of everything, said Draco, kicking off his trousers. Yes. Shower? Asked Draco. Bath? Countered Granger. Oh. I quite like the... "'Jets,' said Granger, working her way down Draco's buttons. "'Oh!' Draco shuffled off to run the bath, tripped on his pants around his ankles, and threw them at Granger's head when she laughed. "'They've got little broomsticks on them this time,' came Granger's amused observation. She joined him in the bathroom as the enormous tub began to fill. "'Let's have a look at yours,' said Draco, tugging at her pajama bottoms. "'I shall disappoint you. I'm not wearing any knickers.' "'That is anything but disappointing,' He stood behind her and watched them both in the mirror as he pulled the things off of her. Now she was naked, and he was naked, and all he wanted to do was run his hands over her and watch her reactions, the arching as he squeezed a nipple, the sighing as he kissed at her neck, gods the feel of her bare skin against his cock. She rubbed her arse against him and smiled at him in the mirror when he took in a breath. She sent a hand behind her and stroked him. He slipped a hand to the front, to where things were the warmest and growing wetter and began a little rubbing of his own. They both began to breathe harder. "'Bath?' gasped Granger. "'Right,' said Draco. They clambered into the enormous tub with a distinct lack of elegance, given that they were both fixated upon the other's genitals. They soaped one another up, an excellent excuse to continue to grope at each other. Draco had really intended to get clean, and then get her back on her bed for subsequent activities. But she had said this interesting thing about the Jets.' and he was seized by a powerful and randy curiosity. So, the jets, said Draco, turning on every single one. The bathtub became a frothing whirlpool. Yes, said Granger. Show me, said Draco. Wouldn't you rather participate? I want to watch, to begin. I can join in later. Granger pressed her lips into a little smirk, then began to feel about with her hands. Draco watched in a kind of aroused daze because Granger was in his bathtub and there was soap dripping off her tits which he had put there, and now she was looking for a jet with which to get herself off. And he wasn't certain that this wasn't some glorious erotic dream. I've got options in here. Hmm, this one, said Granger, finding a jet at the end of the tub that gushed out horizontally. She straddled her jet of choice. The trick is to position yourself just so... Oh? The angle matters rather a lot, of course. Of course. And then we let the... The heat and the... "'The water do the rest, you know?' "'Right. Doesn't take very long.' Draco watched as her explanation became less coherent, and in the following moment she grew pinker in the cheeks and a longer collarbone. Her lips were parted. Her eyes, which had been on their own reflection in the mirror, now met his, dark and inviting. Her breath came faster as the frothing heat between her legs brought her closer. Draco's hand was on his cock, but lightly, because at this rate he could come in a minute from the sights and sounds alone." He ran a hand down her breast and teased at her own nipple. "'Fucking hell, Granger!' Her answer was a smiling, mmm. She gestured to Draco to come position himself behind her, which she obviously did with alacrity. Now he could see the two of them in the mirror. Granger bent over her and hooked her fingers along the edge of the tub. The jet frothed at the front of her, while Draco was presented with a very wet and slick way in, just above the waterline. He put his hands on her hips, They make excellent handles, by the way. The way in was snug. She felt engorged. He watched himself enter her. The way his head opened her up as he nudged herself in. The way her wetness and his mingled when she pulled out again. The jet roiled against him as he pushed himself back, inch by inch. I'm not going to last. About forty seconds. Her answer was breathy. Doesn't matter. We have all morning... Draco was not certain he had ever seen a more arousing sight than Granger in the mirror, edging along the precipice of her orgasm, her breasts moving in time with his thrusts. He watched her come, her wet hand clutching at the side of the bathtub, clenching around his cock in a long, convulsing squeeze. She rode it out with a gasp between teeth, pressing her face into her forearm. The nerve endings from the head of his cock all the way to his balls were overloaded by the feel of her, by the heat of the water, by the frothing jet. Draco, unable to withstand it any longer, came along with her, thrusting his release in her as far as he could go. They breathed. Granger shifted away from the jet, which now pulsed at newly sensitive areas. Draco slid out of her and dripped semen and her sticky contributions into the water. They sank back into the tub, rested their heads on the edge, and panted at the ceiling. Granger recovered first. She kissed Draco on his mouth where it hung slack and stupid, and then amused herself with pressing buttons to discover varieties of soap. I, for one, feel clean and ready to crack on, said Granger, drying charm. As blood began to make its way back to his brain, Draco began to feel that he might be in for something. Perhaps Granger did sex as she did everything. Thoroughly. Which was going to be interesting, because he too prided himself on his thoroughness in these matters. They got out of the tub. Clean enough to eat off of? Asked Draco aiming drying charms at her. Do you know, I was just thinking that we haven't had breakfast. I shall ask the kitchens to send something up. Perfect. Strawberries and cream? Granger's eyes grew bright with amusement. Strawberries optional. Done. Draco slipped on a silk dressing gown to give the order as Granger attempted some hair management in the mirror. She came out of the bathroom wrapped in a towel, still pink about the cheeks. A basket of toast weighted, and dippy eggs, and fresh-cut strawberries, and a ridiculously oversized bowl of whipped cream. "'An entire bucket?' said Granger, eyeing the thing. Henriette was insistent. "'Shall we have a swim in it?' "'I should have let you buy that boat.' Speaking of boats, Draco ate breakfast with his cock at half-mast, which amused Granger tremendously when she noticed. "'The dangly bits are escaping,' she said, pointing to Draco's crotch with a fork. "'I don't think this counts as dangly. You're quite right.' rather more turgid than anything else. Draco looked down. These bits wanted to escape last time I was with you in a dressing gown, but you were too busy being scandalized by Soviet irrigation projects. Granger laughed. I needed a distraction. Oh, from what? Granger occupied herself with a strawberry. From me, out of the shower, pressed Draco. Was it? Tell me. Never. Are you being coy with me after what you just did in the bath? "'That didn't result in suffocating levels of smugness from you,' sniffed Granger. "'So you did want to play with my dangly bits.' Granger sipped her tea with an infuriating amount of ambivalence. Draco stepped back. "'You did. You'd be fervently denying it if you didn't.' "'Mere conjecture,' Granger looked at him with a smirk. "'You smug—ugh, I shall drown you in the whipped cream.' "'I do intend to be face first in it at some point this morning,' said Draco, his smirk widening. "'Well—' "'I'm not going to be coy. "'I can happily admit that I would have shagged you "'in that hotel room repeatedly for three or four days. "'Only you had to go off and save the world. "'Insufferable.' "'Granger smiled into her teacup. "'Now your smugness is suffocating,' said Draco. "'Good,' said Dr- Granger. "'Tell me you wanted to shag me,' said Draco. "'Make me,' said Granger. "'Really?' "'Yes.' "'Safe word?' "'Hevel.' "'Gods. "'I know.' get on the bed. Granger flung her arms toward him with a lazy sort of gesture. He carried her to the bed instead, which was even better, bridal style. Not that he was thinking about brides or marrying the tits off her or anything. He deposited her on his bed amongst white sheets and fluffy pillows and stopped to look at her. Her plate across his pillow, the press of her breasts where the towel squeezed them together, her half-hidden thighs that would soon be exposing and enjoying. What? she asked when she noticed him standing and staring. "'Taking in the moment,' said Draco. "'He undid the twist that held up their towel. "'This feels rather like unwrapping a lovely present.' "'I'm not sure who the present is for more,' sighed Granger when Draco, unable to help himself, bent over to press kisses along her clavicle. "'Happy early Christmas to both of us, then,' said Draco. He floated the vessel of whipped cream towards them, then conjured a blindfold. "'Yes?' "'Ooh, yes.' "'Excellent.' "'The bits have decidedly made their escape.' Said Granger, running a fingertip along the underside of his cock, which now poked out of the dressing gown. Draco let her touch, then pulled her hand down. As bloody enjoyable as that is, this is meant to be about you, and cajoling out confessions. Granger bit her lip and said, Cajole away. Draco tied the silken blindfold around her head and stole a kiss before he began. Well, he meant to merely steal a kiss, but he felt her tongue against his, and then he found himself unable to pull away and then an elbow put into the pillow, and he was thoroughly distracted by her mouth. It was only when he found himself sliding a hand between her thighs that he broke away. Right, he breathed, the whipped cream. The entire point of the exercise, said Granger, as breathless as he was. A silver spoon stood upright in the bowl of whipped cream. Draco loaded it up, dripping slightly with the stuff, and turned it to take in the sight of Granger. Naked, blindfolded on his bed, her hands over her head. Her lips were swollen and wet, which brought to mind the other swollen and wet bits, which put Draco's head back in the game. Draco dipped a finger into the whipped cream and held it against Granger's lips. Try it. You might tell me if it's just up to par. He felt the flick of her tongue against his finger, a rather clever kind of flick, a flick that knew exactly what it was doing. As for the soft sucking, that sensation went straight to his penis. Perfect, said Granger. Draco bent over her and kissed her, and tasted the residual sweetness. You've got a naughty sort of tongue. An equally naughty sort of smile was his answer. He had intended to place a dollop upon every inch of Granger that he wished to kiss, but discovered as he went that he wanted to kiss every literal inch of her, which would involve dumping the entire vessel upon her, which, while hilarious, would not be sexy. He therefore exercised restraint and prioritized. The globs of whipped cream formed a particular shape, He enjoyed her twitches as she flinched when the cool cream touched her warm skin. Granger went silent and was most definitely attempting to work it out, even as she shuddered. What are you drawing? she asked at length. It had better not be the letter D. Oh, no. Far better. It's a constellation. Oh? The constellation of Draco, to be specific. You are... Draco never found out what he was. She cut herself off with a gasp. He had placed cream upon her nipples in two dollops that had absolutely nothing to do with constellations. "'You can't tell me you're surprised about that,' said Draco. "'It's cold!' "'I shall warm it up, sharpish,' said Draco, drawing creamy lines up her thighs toward the juncture between her legs. He set aside the cream and began. His mouth followed a trail down from her sweet mouth to her neck, across her collarbones, and to her breasts." The contrast between the cool cream and the warmth of her stiffened nipples was gorgeous. Delicious, said Draco. Granger, arching her back, breathed out a kind of agreement. Her hands were at her sides, pressed into the mattress. One of her legs twitched up and brushed against Draco's erection. It was tempting to indulge in a bit of frottage against her, but he refrained. Instead, he kissed and licked his way down her stomach, and then, just when he had reached the interesting bits, and Granger had grown quite still— he stopped and kissed the cream off of her left thigh. Granger breathed out and made his way up the soft skin and cream all the way to the innermost part of her thigh. Granger breathed in, her fingertips pushed into the mattress. He stopped again and turned his attention to the line of cream going up her right thigh. The sigh that was followed was frustrated. I can feel your smirk, said Granger as Draco worked his way back up. Oops, said Draco insufferable. Mm. Draco had tasted his tart. Now I begin my interrogation, said Draco. I must be strong, said Granger. Tell me about the Seneca, said Draco, teasing at her with a fingertip. He found her slick, a mix of her earlier activities and new arousal. What do you want to know? Why wouldn't you look at me? He pressed his finger into her, one, two knuckles deep. She groaned out approval and said, you already know. I love to hear it. Because you were stupidly attractive. No one has any right to strut about looking like that, all steaming and dripping. I didn't want to look up because I didn't want to know. Didn't want those pictures in my head. Looked away, of course. Damn you. Draco pulled his finger out, had a taste, and resisted the urge to plunge in and finish this right now. He was no longer certain who the fuck was teasing whom. So we could have spent three days shagging, said Draco, brushing his lips against her wetness as he spoke. We had a professional relationship, said Granger. So righteous, said Draco, flicking his tongue where his fingers should have been. I'm going to lick that right out of you. And he did so, Granger gasped. But to be sincere, yes. The competence in the crypt was possibly even more of a knicker soaker. Draco paused in his ministrations. I think we both share that uh, predilection. Next question. Tell me what happened after our encounter at the window ledge. Felt it through the ring, did you? Yes. I had suspected. I hadn't come so hard in months. I've just changed my mind, said Draco. He caught one of her hands and brought it inwards. I don't want you to tell me. I want you to show me. Granger laughed. Hedonist. Mm-hmm, said Draco, sitting back to give her room to maneuver. First-class seats. I'll have you know that I am stroking myself. Not too much, tutted Granger. You must leave me something to play with after. Oh, there will be a lot to play with, said Draco, glancing down at his cock. Draco conducted a swat analysis. He watched her touch herself, two fingers pressing small circles around and around. She favored a light touch and not too much direct contact. She pushed a finger lower, gathered up wetness, and came back again to continue her rhythmic circles. Draco took his hand off his cock. He was almost ready to come. Fuck. And she was bringing herself there, too. He watched a new trickle make its way down between her fingers. He pushed her hand away and pressed it into the mattress. My turn. Granger sighed. He put one finger into her, then another, squeezed at the knuckles by her snugness. He pushed and pulled in a cadence matching the one that she had shown him. His tongue found salt and tang and recreated those small circles of hers. As he began to squirm, Draco found himself sorely missing the ring, but no matter, he had other indicators. She wasn't a screamer. She was a grabber. Her hands found his hair, her thighs clamped around his ears. She pushed her hips into him as his fingers pulled in and out and his tongue kissed out rhythmic heats against her. Exactly like that was her sole instruction, dutifully carried out by Draco. The movement of her hips grew erratic. Draco held his arse to keep her pushed against his mouth. She convulsed against him, gasped, and came with long contractions against his fingers, four, five, six of them, as he worked his tongue against her. He felt himself twitch and drip into the sheets. Fucking hot. There was a shudder, and she was still, panting, flushed from her neck down to her breasts. Draco pushed himself up carefully, avoiding touching his cock, which, quite frankly, was ready to spurt out of its own orgasm. He slipped the blindfold off her, her eyes were dark and dreamy. "'You're fucking beautiful,' said Draco. She drifted in her afterglow with a smile and watched him lick his fingers. Draco fell onto the bed next to her and propped his head up on his fist. "'Some cajoling,' said Granger in a soft voice. "'I feel like you're going to make me regret it.' She smiled the nundu-smile. ''Shit,'' said Draco. ''You look worried.'' ''I am, but worth it for the wank-bank material.'' Granger threw a pillow at him. ''I must call a recess before we continue, given that I'm a soft breeze away from getting off myself,'' said Draco, catching the pillow. Granger bent towards his erection, put her mouth an inch from it, and breathed her warm breath on it. ''A soft breeze, you say?'' ''Oi,'' said Draco. ''That's unsporting.'' ''Do you want me to stop?'' asked Granger, her words feather-light touches of breath against his shaft. Yes. No. Fuck. Granger gave him a sensible sort of nod. We ought to take that recess. She clambered over him, accidentally on purpose brushing her slickness against him, and got off the bed. Draco laid on the bed and stared at the ceiling with a clenched jaw. Granger poured herself a glass of water at the table. Aren't you coming? she asked over her shoulder. Trying not to, said Draco. He looked. Didn't look looked again at her arse. I should like to bite that, declared Draco. Back up over here, won't you? I think you ought to take your break while you can, said Granger. She did not back herself within biting range. Suppressing a grin, she disappeared into the bathroom to wipe off the worst of her sticky spots. Draco rose to drink and have a bite of toast. His penis had accepted the interlude and began a downward trajectory. Granger came out of the bathroom swimming in one of Draco's silly dressing gowns. "'No,' grained Draco when he saw the change of attire. "'Stay naked. I was admiring.' "'Here,' said Granger, opening the front of the gown a bit. "'I shall pull a Malfoy and make an egregious display for you.' "'That is far from egregious,' said Draco, waving his hand at her. "'More.' "'Like this?' Granger said, having opened a modest amount to show off her cleavage. "'No. Kindly stop being a nun.' Granger gave him a little scoff. That is so rich, coming from you. All the way down. In fact, leave it untied. Offer me glimpses. Better? Yes, we must have you in the next issue of Fantastic Teats and where to find them. Granger's attention was on Draco's groin. He did not object to the change of subject. Have things grown dangly again? She asked. Shall we proceed? Examine us, doctor, said Draco. She slipped a hand between the folds of his ground. Mm, not exactly dangly, but a good starting point.' "'And what are we starting?' asked Draco. Granger tripped off to the bedside table and found Draco's wand and gave it to him. "'I should like you to conduct a spot of legilimency on me to find out.' "'Well, that was new and exciting.' "'Oh?' Granger stood before him. Draco, his eyes raised and asked, "'You're sure?' "'Yes.' "'Legilimens.' It felt surprisingly intimate, entering a mind that was so willing to have him. He felt the warmth of her, the currents of intelligence, complexities, and knowledge. She offered a thought to him. The scene was a long, daydream delight. "'Oh,' said Draco, pulling out of her mind, his eyebrows raised. "'Are you game?' asked Draco. "'Obviously. "'Safe word?' "'Prolapse. "'You horrid man.' She guided him towards the bed with a hand around his penis. And take this off, she said, tugging at his dressing gown. Draco did as he was bid. Now it was his turn to recline against the pillows, stark, bollock naked. Properly living the dream, he was. Granger pointed her wand towards his dressing room and said, Accio cufflinks. A pair of silver cufflinks flew into the room, floated next to Draco's wrists, and was swiftly transfigured into handcuffs, chained between the bedposts. Whatever dangliness remained in Draco's penis quite vanished. Blindfold inquired Granger. Draco, feeling preemptively dazed, said, fuck no, I want to watch. Very well, said Granger. She settled herself beside him, propped her head upon her palm, and began to drip delicate fingers along his body, slightly languid, slightly exploratory. You really are the platonic ideal of a man, she said. I don't want to be a platonic anything with you. Granger laughed. With a wave of her wand, she levitated the vessel of whipped cream towards herself and cast a cooling charm on it. We mustn't let this go to waste. Draco shuddered out a delicious shiver as Granger began to float gobs of whipped cream over to him with her wand. Hers were very focused on his erection, and placed with a great deal of precision along the shaft and upon the head, making it a ridiculous piled-up penile knickerbocker glory. "'Cold?' she asked Granger. "'Yes?' "'Perhaps my plan is to induce shrinkage, so that I might better get my mouth around it.' "'Very clever,' breathed Draco as she began to lick her way up his stomach. "'But I worry that your mouth anywhere near it will have the contrary effect.' "'Oh, I shall have to test it,' said Granger. Now she coiled her hair over her head, pushed her wand through it like a business fashion, and got to work. She kissed up the cream that had dotted across his chest." licked up the dabs she had placed upon his nipples, with much smirking when she felt him twitch, and came up to his neck, to kiss him on the mouth. Delicious. One of his hands jerked forwards to snatch at the back of her neck and hold her there, only—the handcuffs. Oh, no, said Granger. Draco hooked a leg around her instead, but it was not the same. His kiss went from deep and sweet with tongue to a feather-light aversion, brushing just across his lips. He made a sound of discontent when she pulled away. She moved lower and lower. He looked down, and she was there, an elbow propped upon the mattress between his thighs, observing the slow melt of the cream down his shaft. He had fantasized about something like this so much he was once again not convinced that this wasn't a dream. It couldn't be real. A very real fingertip collected a melting drip of whipped cream halfway down, swiped it up his length to the very tip, and was pressed into her mouth. "'Fuck me,' sighed Draco." I can confirm that your definition of large met my expectations, said Granger. Draco had no coherent response to offer, as she chose that moment to begin kissing her way up his shaft, while gently fingers at his balls. She was terribly thorough about it, terribly scientific. Every ridge and bump and vein was discovered, and treated to the flick of a hot little tongue. And she hadn't even gotten to the head yet, and he felt close. He wanted to hold her by the hair, wanted to grasp at a breast, but he was cuffed, and he suffered deliciously instead. "Hmm," said Granger. "'You were right.' "'Oh?' said Draco in a strangled voice. "'The shrinkage, if any, did not persist. "'I'm always right. "'You ought to have to learn that.' "'He cut himself off with a groan. "'The flicks of her tongue became licks "'and velvety caresses along his length. "'Her fingers joined in, "'following her mouth in a slow up and down. "'Draco let his head fall back "'and stared at his handcuffed hands.' Now he felt her palm, too, and the other. Now both hands were working him over, up and down, while her tongue made a little half-circle just under his head. He closed his eyes. He would have given anything for her to take him entirely into her mouth at that moment. She didn't, obviously. She left the tip untouched. She knew she had him where she wanted him. Everything gave him away. His closed eyes, his heavy breathing, the tension running through him— the pre-cum that dripped amongst the cream at the untouched head. "'Tell me about the wank-bank material,' said Granger, cupping a palm. "'I have a burning curiosity.' "'This is one of several scenarios,' gasped Draco. "'Your mouth on me, but the real thing is so much better than what i have been able to imagine.' She rewarded him with a long series of licks. Her hands continued their slow up and down. "'I actually thought of this when I—not sure I should be telling you this—' Her hands moved faster, an encouragement. When I cracked one off in your shower, the night I stayed over? Bit of a danger wank that was, in case you needed further confirmation that I am a horrid man. Her hands paused. Draco stole a glance downwards to see her looking at him with a new flush on her cheeks. Did you really? Yes. That's ridiculous, and yet very hot. Continue. Backless gowns, taking you from behind, heels on. Have wanted to since that party about the orphans. He felt the warmth of her laughter against him, and then the welcome wetness of her tongue. What else? You in handcuffs? I shall have to give you cause to arrest me. Good. Biting. Obviously you went to such lengths to prevent a dental misalignment. Hmm. We must put it to good use. Draco was finding it difficult to concentrate. Her tongue was... Wow. Professor fantasies? Can't decide if you'd be for that. The tongue paused. I might be. With the right man. The tongue resumed, accompanied by suckling. Still, his head had received no attention. It looked red and purple under the cream. "'I'd better be the right fucking man. I will kill every other man to be the right fucking man.' She laughed. He hadn't been joking. He lifted his hips, as though he might find a way to push himself into her mouth. He managed to bump her on her cheek. The brief feeling of soft skin on his touch-starved head was gorgeous. "'What else?' prompted Granger, wiping a smear of cream from her cheek and resuming her attentions. "'I'm going to need you to tell me I'm a good boy at some point.' "'Oh? "'You doing arithmetic, in my study, on my lap, riding me? "'My, I like that one.' "'Now the suckling moved to the underside of his shaft, "'the exquisitely sensitive part just below the tip. "'His entire penis twitched upwards. "'A glob of cream fell wetly onto the sheets. "'His cock desperately produced another few drops, "'mingling with the remaining cream. "'Oops,' said Granger. "'Slip of the tongue.' "'Told you I liked those,' stammered Draco. She laughed and finally took pity on him. "'That concludes my interrogation,' she said with a terrible amount of satisfaction. "'Thank fuck!' It had been one thing to imagine her mouth on him, but it was quite another to feel it. The smooth tongue, the sweet pressure of her lips finally encircling his head. He felt himself twitch out another dribble, quickly sucked up. He strained against the cuffs. He had wanted to take it slow. He had wanted to draw it out— But now her tongue drew warm circles around his head as she moved him up and down and took him as deep as she could, her hands made up for the rest. He had wanted to take it slow. Fuck, I'm there, unless you—she backed off. He had a moment of what was equal parts torture and respite. She looked up at him, wet-lipped, next to his glistening head. She waited. Well, he'd wanted to be undone. Fuck it, he breathed. Finish me. Her mouth was on him again. He was enveloped in heat, simultaneously soft and firm. He felt the light of scrape his teeth. The build-up was fast, and the release was coming. He was panting. His hips bucked. Her hands squeezed. Her tongue swept a tight circle on his very tip. She sucked harder. He came with an indistinct swearing, in long spurts against tongue and teeth and tightness. He felt the breath of her swallow against the underside of his head, and twitched out a final spurt, straining at the chains." He went slack against the cuffs. He did not move for two minutes afterwards, feeling as though his life force had just been drained out of his balls. He was undone. Very undone. She really was launching sperm. Oi, Granger clambered up the bed, pressed a kiss to his lips. He tasted salt, himself, whipped cream, her, and freedom from the cuffs. You are a good boy, said Granger. Too late. She was a mix of concerned and amused. Are you all right? You seem... dazed. His cock, still hard from overstimulation and ridiculous levels of arousal, dripped against his stomach. Ugh, was all he managed as he fell back onto the pillows. Granger bustled about with water for him and cast a few cleaning spells on the sheets. Tisk, she said, inspecting the vat of whipped cream. We've hardly made a dent. Donate. Orphans, said Draco, reduced to linguistic fragments. Granger came to stand beside the bed, still in her oversized dressing gown. She twinned her hands before her and tilted her head to the side, contemplating him. Draco, his goopy brain loosely held together by hormones and one or two remaining neurons, sighed. What? I'm pleased. Oh? I had a feeling after Spain that we'd be quite compatible, but one can't be certain until one has conducted a few, mm, trial runs, you know? Quite compatible, repeated Draco. Don't you think? Have you seen me? Granger grinned. I'd expound upon my feelings, said Drago, but you've just pumped out all of my cognition out of my balls. He reached a languid hand towards her. She approached. He slipped it between the dressing gown's folds and ran it up her side. You're bloody. incredible. I can't even string words together at the moment, but. She laid herself onto the bed with him and put her head on his shoulder. An ordinary sort of gesture, all told, only it was Granger, putting her head on his shoulder. His pulse picked up again. Not an arousal but out of a swell of joy. He kissed the top of her head. He couldn't remember having kissed the top of anyone's head in his life, but there it was. Granger appeared to be thinking things along the same lines. She spoke into his chest in a smiling mumble. "'This is absurd. You're Draco Malfoy. Have we both gone mad?' "'I think so. A little. You've just reminded me that I wanted to make you say my name.' "'We have time to correct the lapse. Yes, there would be time.' Thank the gods, because Draco was making a list. He wanted a spot of professorial role-play. He wanted to have her in the library, perhaps even the Hogwarts library, if they could bluff their way back in, on the dining table, in his cubicle at work, definitely in the lab, at the Seneca, yes of course, and he was going to have her on that window ledge, and every bloody window ledge in this house, and he was going to spaff on her tits, and definitely work out that auto-asphyxiation device of hers. There would be time there would be a lifetime, perhaps. Or was that too mad to think about? He thought about it anyway. It had been, all told, a winning start to the day. They settled into one another's arms and fell into a nap. Judging by the angle of the sun, it was only about ten o'clock in the morning when Draco awoke. He took an unusual groggy delight in the feeling of warm and sticky, because it was Granger who he felt warm and sticky with. Her robe had opened and exposed a thigh that looked delicious. He pushed himself up and kissed it. Granger, far away in some distant, peaceful dream, slept on. Draco had been about to lie back down when he realized that he was being watched. Granger's cat was at the foot of the bed, staring at him. "'How the bloody hell do you keep getting in here?' whispered Draco. "'I've got wards up.' The cat's blink told him that this was no concern of his. "'Right. Well, um, as you can see, things have progressed,' said Draco, attempting to cover Granger's thigh with her robe." The cat's long stare informed him that it had indeed taken note, and that any progress was, in fact, its doing, given that Draco was largely a useless imbecile. Draco could offer payment in the form of kipper herring at breakfast. You weren't really lost, were you? That one time? And the other night? You weren't really chasing a leaf? No, said the cat. Of course not. Draco was a bumbler, and at some point a cat simply runs out of patience. The twitch of the cat's tail informed Draco that by the by, the consequences would be dire for him should he bollocks this up. Frankly, the cat intimidated Draco far more than Potter and Weasley. The cat actually had the gumption to carry out its threats. Draco pulled a sheet over himself, feeling that the old sausage and beans were rather too exposed with those claws at this level of proximity. I shan't bollocks it up, whispered Draco. I can't bollocks it. I care for her far too much. It's a horrid feeling. The yellow eyes stared at him. "'What else do you want me to tell you? "'She has the entirety of my stupid heart, all right. "'I can't hurt her. "'I'd sooner rip out my soul.' "'Still,' the stare continued. "'I love her.' "'That's what it wanted to hear.' "'The cat wound its way towards him on the bed. "'Draco slid a protective hand in front of his crotch, "'in case it got any ideas. "'The cat observed the movement. "'Its glance toward Draco told him that "'if it were to carry out its revenge, "'it would go for his eyes first anyway.' then nipples. It had sharpened its claws for that purpose. But for now, that was unnecessary. They could be friends. It butted its head at his chest, curled its tail under his chin. Draco spat out a single cat hair, presumably placed upon his tongue to ensure that he knew his place. Granger awoke to find Draco scratching the cat's ears. "'Oh,' she said. "'He's approved of me,' said Draco, with a few provisions. "'Provisions? They're between him and me. Can't disclose.' All right, Granger smiled widely. You know, I did have it on good authority that you're a good man, under all the docketery. But now. It's irrefutable, isn't it? Yes, Theo's findings have been peer reviewed, as it were. The cat began to knead Draco's thigh, too close to his crotch for comfort. Another intimidation tactic, no doubt. Granger saw Draco's eyes widen and came to the rescue. She picked up the cat and gave it a kiss on its ugly head before sending it on its merry way through the door. "'I still want to know how he's getting in,' said Draco. "'Should have worked that out into your provisions,' said Granger. "'I am so pleased that you're getting along. "'I'm not sure it's the most egalitarian of getting-alongs. "'You sound as though he had something terrible on you. "'He threatened to go after my nipples. "'Should I, in any way, displease you?' "'Granger laughed and pressed a kiss into one of his nipples in question. "'I shall keep you safe.' "'Thank you. "'I can't decide whether the cat or the prioress terrifies me more at the moment.' "'New it is.' "'Not quite,' said Draco. "'He had an entirely new terror there.' "'Granger yawned. "'Shall we have a shower and give the others a sign of life?' "'No,' said Draco selfishly. "'I think we ought to, or Harry and Ron might burst in next.' "'It's one thing for that cryptid of yours to get in, "'but if those two bumblers get through my wards, "'I'd know I was losing my touch.' "'You were a bit distracted when you were casting them,' said Granger.' She then proceeded to distract him again by walking to the bathroom and letting the robe slip off as she went. All other issues lost their significance over chasing Granger's bare bum. "'Again?' gasped Granger as Draco ran for her and pushed his half-hard self against her. "'Obviously. Still plenty of life in the old bag.' As they entered the bathroom, Draco caught sight of himself in the mirror. His hair looked like a pineapple. In a moment of real personal growth, he discovered he you didn't really care.' They showered, amongst other naughty things. Then, because Granger desired it, they went downstairs to give the requisite sign of life. That night, when everyone, but particularly Potter and Weasley, had fucked off, Draco joined Granger in her rooms. By then, they had got the worst of their randiness out of their systems, and they were able to take it slow, and it was something rather more akin to making love. There was such pleasure in it, not raw, carnal pleasure. That had been found several times that morning but something intimate, and slow, and sweet. They undressed each other with care and caress. She took off his braces and cufflinks with a soft smile upon her face. He pulled the hairpins from her hair. all except one, out of her lingering paranoia. She unbuttoned his shirt. He lifted her top off. When they were both naked, he lay her onto the pillows with that lovely chaos of her hair around her, under the light of the waxing moon. She was the enchantress that he had glimpsed a long time ago. He drew his fingers through her hair and felt the impossibility of it, of the realness of his dream vision. He told her that she was beautiful. She told him to kiss her. Their kisses yielded secrets. He told her of his amertentia, and she told him of hers. And they found delightful surprises in one another's answers, of flying, and the sea, and roses, and his hair, and desert sands, and her soap, and his cologne, and honeyed cider and cherries. "'bits and pieces and memories and moments "'that had brought them together. "'He told her what he thought of her when he cast a Patronus. "'She told him of her puzzle, of paradoxes now solved. "'It was a gentle delirium of stupidities and vulnerabilities. "'They made love in it, whispering once, "'long unvoiced, into each other's ear. "'Their hearts thudded and surged, "'their mouths reaped and harvested kisses, "'and when they spun over the edge together, "'they gasped out each other's names.' CHAPTER 36 JOURNEY'S END IN LOVER'S MEETING December's full moon came and went. There were no further werewolf attacks. The wizarding world sighed in relief. Greyback and his pack had well and truly been eradicated. And if someone of his ilk did come back, well, there was a cure now. Lycanthropy was no longer the life-changing affliction that it used to be. In the days and weeks that followed, normalcy returned to Draco and Granger's lives. Granger moved back to her cottage— this, despite Draco mentioning with eminent casualness that he didn't mind if she stayed at the manor longer, by which he clearly meant that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with her there, and she was obtuse about it. Anyway, Granger moved back into her cottage. She returned to her good works at Muggle Cambridge, at her local surgery, and at St. Mungo's A&E. The sound of a whip cracked over the St. Mungo's board of directors. Her advancements in magical immunology took wizarding academia by storm and rocketed her to scholarly superstardom. What seemed like every magical research institution in the world endeavored to poach her from Cambridge, Oxford was particularly insistent and attempted to rec- recruit her with promises of heading her own research institute, and budget, staff, and resources beyond her wildest dreams. Cambridge scrambled to make a counteroffer to ensure that Granger would stay. The Sorbonne sent in a proposal that bordered on outrageous— Heavyweight American universities entered the fray with offers even more extravagant, which even Draco found rather tempting when Granger showed them to him. Granger watched the one-upmanship unfurl with her raised eyebrow, said that it was all very flattering, and decided to remain at Cambridge. They gave her the entirety of King's Hall third floor to expand her laboratory and funded a new facility for mass production of her treatment. She won an absurd amount of prizes to add to her mosaic. Meanwhile, Muggle universities found an unaccountable influx of interest in their immunology programs by prospective students, with strange and wonderful academic qualifications. As for Draco, well, he was awarded an Order of Marlin First Class for acts of outstanding bravery, for his diverse manifestations of idiocy on the battlefield. He was also given a letter of reprimand for conduct unbecoming of an or for inappropriate acts with his principal. It was signed by Tonks, with a postscriptum requiring about when the wedding would be, He framed the letter and put it in a place of pride on his cubicle wall, next to the Order of Merlin. Granger's photograph from the original case file was pinned next to it. She tutted at him when he came in late. Draco returned to his usual assortment of missions, and, when he wasn't dealing with naughty witches and wizards, he faffed about with a certain damaged ring. The words carved into it, purity will always conquer, meant something different now. Purity had conquered. But it had been purity of another kind of purpose, of heart, and mind. As for the something between Draco and Granger, they saw each other when their schedules permitted, perhaps every second or third day. As December drew to its end, Draco decided that, whatever it was, it wasn't enough. He did not want to go back to jotted notes. Not when he could kiss meanings out onto her neck. He didn't want to wake up in separate beds. He didn't want scheduling. He wanted a life together. It seemed a divine objective, and a terrifying one. He wanted to try this thing with Granger, this next adventure. It frightened him far more than any of the others, more than the keepers, more than the nuns, more than Greyback's mania, but it might make things enough. A life together with Granger, whatever form it took, wouldn't be perfect, smooth sailing into a perpetual sunset. This he knew. They would quarrel often. They'd want to murder each other through new and sensational means. They'd probably call it a mistake some days. But they would come to understandings and perhaps, eventually, she would agree to live at the manor with him, and fill its lofty halls with warmth. Or perhaps he would move into her cottage, and do something about the mess of books in the front room. Perhaps, one day, they would have children, and those children would have childhoods free of pain and war. Or perhaps they would simply enjoy each other, and go wherever the wind, or Granger's do-gooding, took them. Or perhaps they would become gentlemen thieves, or adopt orphans, and instill moral fibers in them but he was getting ahead of himself with these speculations. He had to ask her first. Draco had a conversation with his mother. He explained a great many things that had heretofore been kept secret. The rings, Granger living at the manor, his unwise, not-allowed feelings. He had expected, at the very least, annoyance, if not anger, at his temerity on all fronts. Instead, his mother grew teary and asked a question. And you're happy, aren't you? she sniffed yes said draco with unusual sincerity and a wide wide smile then so am i she took him in her thin arms and hugged him and said narcissa into his shoulder i will gladly admit that i was wrong she did exist after all who that perfect witch you were waiting for a few days before christmas draco invited granger to the manor for dinner much to his annoyance he was late getting home that evening having been occupied with chasing after a like in Grimsby. He stepped out of the flue to find the manor resplendent with Christmas decorations, tinsel of twined silver and gold, white clusters of candles and garlands wafting the scent of pine. Toopee dusted him off. Henriette, a quill behind her ear and a scroll of parchment in her hand, interrogated Draco on a few items for the dinner menu. Draco had little interest in the matter. He had absolutely no appetite, given that his intestines were a knot of nerves." "'Is she here yet?' he asked. "'Colleague Healer Granger went for a walk,' said Tupi. "'We told her that you would be late, sir.' "'Colleague Healer Granger,' repeated. Draco. "'Sir?' Draco grasped at his pocket. "'My hope is that—' "'My hope is that she won't be colleague Healer Granger for much longer.' Both house-elves turned to look at him with wide eyes. Tupi's feather duster quivered. "'I hope she'll become something else. "'If she'll have me,' said Draco, feeling rather quivery himself.' Henriette dropped her parchment. Her small hands clasped at her heart. The elves flung themselves at him, each hugged one of his thighs. "'You must change, monsieur,' said Henriette, stepping back and growing businesslike. "'You smell like un cadaver.' "'Yes, well, the undead in Grimsby, you know.' Ten minutes later, Draco had been whipped into the shower and whirled into fresh robes. He was then equipped with life advice from Henriette, such as the importance of being humble and sincere— Not bungling this, monsieur, or she would be cross. In spite of her severe words, her eyes brimmed with tears as she helped him with the cloak. Toopee sobbed into his feather-duster. Draco dearly hoped that he would be giving them a reason to smile soon, otherwise he would be joining them in the crying. He stepped outside and found Granger's footprints in the snow. He followed them, feeling rather like a man on a mission, possibly the most significant mission of his life. What a feeling! What a hideous, vulnerable, glorious feeling! The air smelled of just before snow. As Draco walked, memories of their year together unwound before him in a soft chronology. The February day in Glastonbury, their quarrel at Astara, banoffee pie scarfed down like barbarians, Beltane in its seas and smoke, chocolate by a fountain, solstice and sun-drenched Provence, healing in the inadvertent disclosures at St. Mungo's, lingering too long under wisteria. Lunasa's general meander down memory lane, laughing fits with mud in their mouths and the magic of Maybon, A stolen dance. Sam Hain and the night in Spain. Triumphs on the battlefield amongst blood and fire. A kiss under sanctified rain. He felt a sweet sort of sadness that something was over, but there swelled in him also a hope that something new and wonderful was about to begin. There was a strange loveliness in the evening sky— Snow-clouds threatened, but the sun danced among them, sifting delicate gold here and there through the gray. It washed light and dark over the grounds in a pale, luminous impasto. Granger's footprints led to the rose-garden, snow, ivied walls. Rose-bushes, charmed to resist the cold, dripped with icicles, and fixed the lights into frozen glints. The roses themselves looked even more opulent than usual under their perilines of snow heavy heads bent under the weight of it, glowing lustres of ruby or pink or crimson through the white. There is something of a fairy tale about roses under snow, in the frosted leaves, in the bending stalks, in blossoms unscarred, touching petal to petal like the lips of lovers. Something of a love story, something of a happily ever after. Draco picked a rose, a deep red one, the color of romance, of heart blood. The stirring beauty of the rose garden was made more beautiful still by the woman walking through it. She had paced a circle of footprints around the fountain. Her nose and cheeks were nipped pink by the cold. She smiled as he approached. In her hands, a sheaf of papers. In his hands, a rose. "'What are you up to?' she asked when he approached her with it. "'Mischief as usual,' said Draco. He slid the rose into her hair, and stood back to contemplate the effect. gilding the lily, really, holding a lantern to the sun.' Granger eyed him with amusement and suspicion even as she blushed. She touched her fingertips to the petals. "'Thank you. It's lovely.' "'And what are you up to?' asked Draco. "'Reeling,' said Granger. She waved her papers at him. "'I've just got back from the lab. We received some preliminary results.' "'Good?' "'More than good. Fantastic. Beyond what I could have hoped.' She came to a side and showed him the results, the incomprehensible rows of data that made her so happy." She explained things in a rush of enthusiasm, how these and those numbers were so promising, that this and that anticipated side effect had occurred only minimally, interspersed with exclamations of, Look! And can you imagine? Draco nodded and pretended to understand, and said that it was all bloody good news. Well done. Well fucking done. Granger beamed. She clutched the results in her chest, spun upon her heel, took in a breath, and let it out in a warm mist. With a new sincerity, she folded the papers and pressed them into her coat. Now she looked at Draco with a small, soft, smiling delight. A great peace descended on her. The peace that followed years of effort and persistence. When those efforts have at long last borne fruit, she had accomplished the impossible. She had achieved a dream. Draco felt that rush of admiration and affection that had grown terribly familiar. When Granger was around, the press at his heart, the headiness. Extraordinary witch, incredible woman, beloved. The sun shone from behind clouds. It's the winter solstice today, said Granger, looking up at it. Yule. Is it? What, a pagan holiday and we haven't some astricky adventures to frolic off to? Strange, isn't it? Shall we nip away to the Orkney Islands before dinner? Granger laughed. It's a fascinating astronomical event in its own right. Solstices' literal meaning is the sun stands still. And it will. Quite soon, I think. And then the days will grow longer again. A time for new beginnings, according to the old ways. New beginnings, repeated Draco. That is rather convenient. Oh? Draco found himself again, seized by that fool's courage, as well as the squeeze of nerves. I have something for you, said Draco. His voice verged suddenly on the shaky. His voice was never shaky. He had wanted to be suave, but this was Granger, ergo, no suave. Blasted all to hell. Granger turned her question from the sky to him. Her focus was curious, gentle. With fingers that felt a bit trembly, Draco took out the ring. It sat in his palm. A simple silver band. You fixed it, gasped Granger in delight. Well done. I did. I'd like you to... to have it. She looked up at him. To wear it again? No. Well, yes. But, I mean, have it. Have it? Granger searched his eyes. But... These are your family's rings. Right. He was botching this completely, and it was going to have to spell it out for her, even as his heart was doing its utmost to block this throat. Yes, of course, you're right. These are my family's rings. He paused, took a breath, and continued. And I—what I'm trying to say, badly, is that I'd like you to be part of my family, or for me to be part of yours, or for us to make a new one, together, or any iteration that you'd like. What I'm trying to ask is— Is if you'd give it a go with me.' His voice caught. Now she was beginning to understand. Her lips parted. A few snowflakes drifted down and caught in her hair, on the rose, and left melting kisses on her cheeks. "'Potter and Weasley asked me what my— my intentions were with you,' continued Draco, and I hadn't an answer. Didn't know I had any. But I do. I want to be with you, in whatever capacity you'll have me.' Now there were tears in her eyes. He forged ahead. It was too late to turn back now. "'I love you. I adore you. I want us to be together. Together, together. I, frankly, would like to spend the rest of my life with you, but we can do stupid dates first, or proper courtship, or an engagement, though I rather think that we got engaged in March, as much as you would deny it, or anything you'd like.' She gasped out a sob that was somehow also a sound of delight. "'Are you asking me to marry you?' "'Yes, I am. If you want to, obviously. But I would also be happy simply just being with you, whatever that might mean.' "'Whatever you like to—it to me, I guess. "'I don't bloody know. "'I'm rubbish at this. "'Something about you reduces me to a blithering fool. "'I realize asking you for the rest of our lives "'is probably too much, too fast, so— "'Yes,' said Granger. "'Yes?' repeated Draco. "'You—you you want to?' "'She approached. "'She held his cold hand in her warm ones "'and drew it, ring and all, towards her heart. "'Tears mingled with the snow snowmelt on her cheek. "'Yes, I want to. "'Yes to everything.' to whatever it might mean, yes, to stupid dates, yes, to being together together, yes, to, to marrying you, to spending the rest of my life with you, yes, to every blithering word. Are you certain I'm the worst of blitherers, of men in general? She cut him off with a kiss, and in a voice choked with emotion, whispered, I love you, against his lips. His head spun, his soul flew, he kissed her back, And then his overfull heart surged out once in breathless sequence against her mouth. I want more time with you. I want us to have the same bed. I want you to outwit me daily. I want to give you, God, so many things. I want quickies in the bathrooms, dances, photographs, and luckets. Tears or snowflakes clung to her lashes. She gasped out another yes against his lips. I'm the luckiest idiot who ever walked this earth, said Draco, holding her face, pressing his forehead against hers. "'I can assure you that that title goes to me,' said Granger in a voice that shook. "Your Granger. Contradiction in terms.' She laughed amongst her tears. "'How do you make me so happy?' "'Shall we? Shall we have one last grand adventure together?' She could speak no further. She nodded, then pressed her face into his chest. She had said yes. She had kissed yeses into his mouth. She wanted to weep. He wanted to crush her. He wanted to drop onto one knee— He wanted everything, all of this stupid love thing. He wanted it rife with cliché. Another kiss, another moment, for ever and ever. He felt the warmth of her breath through his cloak. She put her small, shaking grasp around him and made a serious attempt to squeeze the life out of him. And, his long list notwithstanding, he didn't want anything more than this. This witch in his arms, doing her utmost to crack his ribs. He had, at last, found his enough. The sun was setting, the stars glittering their lovely awakening. And they had been in this very garden so many months ago. They were once again only a man and a woman amongst green boughs and rustling breeze. Only this time, the violent polarities that had kept them apart drew them together. After all, fire loves her darkness. After all, the sinner loves his angel. Autumn, laughing, dances her leaves into the high skies of her winter. The moon spins in gyre after gyre, chasing his beloved son. Only this time, the terrible incompatibilities had grown irrelevant, fallen away, mattered for naught. There were two souls who had come near enough to feel the other's glow, but now at last they met, touched, and tangled. He slipped the ring onto her finger. He had removed all of the thresholds. She would feel everything. The rings connected. He felt the surge of her heart, and she, with a gasp, felt his. He held her to him, lifted her and spun her, laughing amongst swirling nebula of snowflakes catching the sun. She was his, and he was utterly hers. In snow fetid with twilight, under spilling skies and starshine, and a sun standing still, they kissed, they promised, they loved. What cared they about universes colliding? Let them collide. Let their joined heartbeats cleave constellations and startle the eternal stars.